Welcome to Wing Talk from the INAP Fixed Wing Group. Now here is your host, Steve Schlesinger. Hey, welcome to Wing Talk. This is Steve, and this week we have our favorite, one of our absolute favorite guests, Lee from Painless 360 is back, and um, a little something happened a few days ago with Ardu Pilot that we're going to absolutely talk about in the second hour, but before we get into all of that, um, we have one person here today that almost wasn't here, and then all of a sudden, last minute, he's available to talk, and it's great because he knows a lot about Ardu Pilot, and um, Luke, what's going on with you today? Happy Easter. Yeah, all, all's good. Uh, in fact, just got out flying with Darren uh, over at the patch. Uh, we've had some really good weather here recently. Yeah, all's good. You guys find any Easter eggs while you're out there? I didn't go looking, but yeah. I've certainly been force-fed Easter eggs at home. So. <laughs> <laughs> good man. Okay, hey, Darren, um, I watched you on TV this morning. So it was kind of cool. I, on TV? <laughs> yeah, I, we got um, Christmas. So they, they had those... Um, Google, um, Chrome, uh, whatever, it's basically, it's like a Chrome extension you hook up to your television set, uh, HDMI, and oh, yeah, and so it's basically like a little computer, and, uh, and I can pull up YouTube, and then I was watching ESP32, and your review on that, and how uh, it's, iNav Radar is now ESP32, but we're going to still call it iNav Radar, because it's hard enough to get people to know what INAV radar is and more or less a new thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose, yeah, morning for you is like four, two o'clock in the afternoon for me. But yeah, um, yeah, I've actually flown with it now as well, which was really interesting, quite cool. So yeah, the, the firmware update is a little bit different now. So that's why the video. But yeah, and the renaming, I, the whole way through, I called it INAV radar when I should have been calling it ESP32 radar. Yeah. The good thing about it is that it works now with more than just one board, right? It can work with everything up to one through two. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the different hardware versions. Yeah, because that was a real problem. Um, it's supposed to be up to 2.1, but uh -huh. I didn't actually see the pinouts for 2.1 on the site. But yeah, it's, it's that's quite a, quite a fun thing. Still getting used to how the HUD works, but yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's a little bit more involved to it, but it's not that difficult and your video made it absolutely easy to follow so absolutely appreciate it so oh, great yeah. we're gonna have a great show today hey mark um i have a bone to pick with you and that is um i you know when i first met you i was like i was a guy who was addicted to those red racer star motors and yeah i was the guy yeah and he, Mark was like, oh, my God, whatever you do, get rid of those things as quick as possible. So I'm going through right now, and I'm updating all my planes. I'm, I have a year to fly every plane I own, get it flying. And so I found one last night, and I fired up the motor, and it had one of those red racer star motors on it. And I'm like, oh, God, this sounds horrible. I can't, you know, I, maybe if it flies 300 feet away, I won't hear it anymore. But, gosh, you know, I have not really – I was not a connoisseur of motors until I met you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a positive thing. <laughs> <laughs> now I know the better things in life. I uh, forget the German chocolate. It's the it's these fine like sunny sky motors and things like that. Um, today we have with us one of our favorite guests of all time, and just a guy who's just absolutely fascinating to listen to. 
In fact, right before the show started, he started mentioning something that I want to get right into, which is about reviewers and products that are available. So Lee from Painless360, welcome back to the show. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? Good, uh, ben, happy, happy Easter. Happy Easter, Lee. Thank you so much. By the way, there's going to be a hard stop absolutely at 8 o'clock um, um, GS, GST. Uh, we are going to, <laughs> we're not going to go on for another half hour after that. And if we do, we will not have Lee with us, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, appreciate you taking, you have not had your Easter dinner yet. So thank you so much. You're a yeah. giver, give, 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 never take. We appreciate that about you. No, it, you know, I've been looking forward to speaking to you guys. We had such a, a good, fun time last time. I think we could have easily gone on for another hour, hour and a half. So it's kind of fun to kind of circle back because well, how, how long ago was that? Four, five months ago? Maybe a bit more? Probably right. something like that, wasn't it? Around that, yeah. <clears throat> you know, we, we, we've had a whole new version of iNav and things since then. So, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot to talk about. And this year, there's definitely uh, different topics in the hobby kind of creeping to the top because we all have uh, kind of ADHD when it comes to our attention spans as builders in this hobby and there's always something new and exciting and interesting and we kind of jump from one thing to the others and sometimes you know you'll jump onto something that you kind of fall in love with and it will become a passion and you'll continue to fly it sometimes you know then you, you know two weeks later you'll watch another youtube video or you'll need a read another forum post and there'll be something else that looks really interesting and you go on to that the fun thing with being a reviewer is that you get sent a lot of this stuff yeah. to play with right so uh you it's a very uh privileged uh, situation that I'm in and uh, you know and I think it is a privileged situation because I know lots of people back in the day used to want to start a YouTube and I, you have to say it in that way a slight derogatory way because everyone thinks that they start a YouTube channel and then the next day the UPS van backs up and unloads <laughs> four and a half tons worth of radio control equipment from all the manufacturers and then you know you're off and it doesn't work like that right but uh, for those of us that get that do get stuff um, it's really fun because you get to play with a lot of things. And I did a video um, that I that came out yesterday, actually, which I thought was interesting timing for our chat because it was my top four favorite fixed wings to fly. All the Marine Nav, surprise, surprise. But it's something that I get asked on a regular basis. I watched it this morning. It was an excellent video. But thank you for that. Did you like the idea of actually having sliding scales on the high and low speed and things like that yeah. to give you a visual? Well, can I be honest with you? Go, like, please watch please it do, because it, it was a test. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a test. I, I couldn't really, there was like icons with the scale and there was colors. I, I kind of got it, but I think it would be better if it was just like stars. You know, that's just Okay. Me. No, no, we, we, we can do stars. Stars are good. It's just one of those things that the... Because as, as, as we're all pilots, we know that some things are better, some fixed wing models are better at some things than others, right? So some of them are really good on a windy day. Some of them are really good at soaring. Some of them are really good at going like stink. Some of them are really easy to launch. Some of them are very stable. Some of them are highly acrobatic. Some of them are, will survive crashes really well. Some of them, you know, are made of tissue paper and hope, you know? So the first time anything bad happens, it's all over. Um, and, and I think that's something that as reviewers, I don't think we do enough of because we just go, hey, brilliant, did it go in, it's fab, right? And, and you see it flying and it zooms overhead and we get the follow cam footage and a bit of FPV footage and there's some footage in the field. 
But actually, as, as a pilot looking at it, what does that really show you? It, well, it shows you it flies, but yeah, it's wing. It's seriously hope it should, right? You know, um, but it's all it's all the extra stuff. It's the it's the bits on the periphery that are different. But it, it it's been an interesting year, and this is what we were talking about before we started recording, because uh, the content creation stuff for those of us who are in the hobby who make things um, like videos and and posts and stuff, and you know, I, I'm sure you guys are in a similar situation is that it's changed a little bit because before COVID and before the chip shortage in China that was a result of COVID and a couple of other things, um, we were very lucky in the hobby in that there was new products coming out all the time. There wasn't a week that didn't go by that there was something new and sexy and exciting. It was a set of goggles or a radio or OpenTX or a plane or a wing or a mod or a god knows what else it was there was always something to talk about and always something on sale too at the same time right the yeah when the version two came out the version one and usually you knew the version two was coming because the version one dropped like 60 dollars, and you right. were like well why have they got the sale on today and then <laughs> and then the following day you know somebody like me or josh or stewart or one will be kind of going oh announced today this new thing from sonic model and you'd be like oh okay that makes sense um and it's kind of not like that now it's really changed and that the lots of the vendors that you we used to deal with who used to contact you as a as a content creator all the time going we'd love to send you one of our models for free if you can make a video a lot of that stuff has dropped away and the people who were trying to jump into the back of a lot of the interest that was in the hobby four or five years ago you know with the the multi the drone racing explosion that we all had lots of people decided that it was a good place to make money invested lots of cash and now we're very much on the other side of that I mean, if, you know if you look at i was talking to somebody this week you know if, uh, if you look at fat shark we haven't had a new set of fat shark goggles for forever you know are we gonna are we ever gonna see any new fat shark goggles mm, i really don't know because the last time i looked at the next the next fat shark technology based goggles i thought i was going to see were the ones from hd zero and now it looks like they're not going to base them on the scout they're going to base them on something else and people who were the backbone of the hobby even some of those guys have de-invested from the creation of new products and a lot of the guys who were just in there as me too's have kind of gone away as well but it's not all bad news because for me what it's meant is that the people who are left in the hobby who are making products. So your Radio Masters, your Armatan, your ZOHDs, your Atomarsic, you know, the people that we all fly are in it, not because they, they make loads of money, because let's be honest, there's not enough pilots in the world for them to make lots of money. Most of them that I speak to are in it because they love it and they're passionate about it. And I personally think that's a great situation to be in because if you if you wanted to put the amount of R&D in to make a really good radio or a really good set of goggles, you could put it into almost any other product sector and get a much higher return because there's millions of potential customers in the world. If you make a set of FPV goggles, what is it, $400,000 or something, whatever the estimate, latest estimate is worldwide. And most of us have goggles already, right? So, so the volumes are really small. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it because you want to. And that's meant that, you know, the, the, the dynamics and the content that's being created has changed. So you, you see people like Josh 
Bardwell uh, being more about news and updates and, you know, kind of rumour mill and all that stuff. And he's doing an amazing job with that. But for me, it's been great because rather than me have to come into the office in the morning and sit down and have a little pile of boxes of stuff that I've been sent. And I was always really careful. I always only got stuff in that I was genuinely interested in. I just didn't get stuff in to, to slag it off and be derogatory. If I didn't like the look of it, I didn't think it was very good. You know what? I didn't get it in because I didn't have time. You know, that's I've got enough. I've only got a certain amount of time and I want to do it on stuff I'm interested in. Um, it's cool now not coming in and not having that pile of product. Because what I'm being able to do is get much deeper into into videos. I was actually at the pub uh, with a friend of mine and his wife. We went for dinner um, yesterday at one of the places near me and uh she, she asked a really great question she said how you know with the chip shortage and stuff how's how's your channel gone and i went actually it's really good because if I, somebody sends me a product like a new radio i can make six to twelve videos on that radio of how to set it up how to do all the things that people get get stuck with so for me rather than do one unboxing video and show you all the switches and the switch layout and compare it with the old version and talk about what's changed which still happens and i'd much rather make a video that might only get a thousand views about the specific issue that the vent that the you know the vendor calls me and says I'm, we're getting lots of calls from customers who don't understand this and I'll go, brilliant, that's great. So I'll make a video. So there isn't lots of people on the planet who have that problem. But if they do, they'll find the video, they'll get fixed and they'll get back in the air and they'll have a big grin on their face. So and for I me, it's, a, it's, it's very different. It's more about that stuff now than new fat shark killers. Yeah, can I just say this? I, what, I'm a guy who's a content consumer, whereas you're the content creator. And um, the thing that when I was in this phase of buying planes uh, a few years back, uh, what I would do is I would go and like, I'd look up a plane and, <laughs> and um, I would see like, it would, you know, there'd be a number of reviews on it. And one of my favorites was Andrew Newton. And I yep. would watch his reviews. And then I would wait and I go, after a while I got to know his personality. And I said, um, I waited till he had a recap video, like, um six months later and then he here's the planes i'm going to keep and here's the planes i'm going to get rid of and you know and what i kind of noticed was there's like a lot of videos on the first thing here's the unboxing here's the first flight and there's nothing else but what i noticed was um there was this one plane in particular last year that showed up and people couldn't stop talking about it and i couldn't understand why it was such a great plane but you actually explained it perfectly and i'm like when i watched not one but like three or four videos of yours about the atomic Adam RC dolphin. Oh, the dolphin, it's epic. Yeah, now I understand why you like it so much. I, I would not understand it with just one review. No, and, and I think that's the issue is that it's difficult from one review. And, and again, you have to live with a product for a period of time and you have to get, you, you have to understand its foibles and the stuff it's good at and the stuff it's bad at to be able to give it a balanced review. Having a product for five days, right? You know, you, they'll ship it to you. It arrives on a Monday and it has to be up that weekend. In my humble opinion, you know, they, they, they want me to call these things reviews. And I'm like, they're not reviews. I haven't had it long enough. I have a first impression. I have a first look kind of video, but a review, in my humble opinion, 
takes six, eight weeks. You know, I need, I, I need to have good days with it. I need to have really bad days with it. I need to make the mistakes. Um, you know, there was, there was one where my friend uh, bought the, the, the Ranger T1, which is a little twin plane with the wing snap on. Uh, those, are, and, those are two of your planes you like. Oh, Matt, I love that little thing. It, it yeah. is epic. And the um, it was my friend who got it first. It was one of those fantastic situations. And it happens to all of us. You go to the field and someone else has something cool. And you kind of go, oh, what's that? Uh, so, so at the end of the day, you think, oh, damn, I'm going to have to order another another plane. So you get one and it's, and it's great. But he, when he was flying his, we found it had a really aggressive tip stall. When, when you started to slow down, you had that nice wiggle as it was you know as, as the as the air was separating it started to stall and then it wasn't much after that that it just kind of went you know what i'm out and it did a really nasty tip stall started to spiral into the ground what do people call that the death spiral um uh, it's, no it's a stall everybody and that's what happens um but but we had to pull it out anyway Long story short, I get mine and I build it. And because I have the DJI HD system in it, my central gravity is about six millimeters further forward than it is on his. So we fly mine and I'm expecting it to be really, you know, to be really ungraceful when I'm getting close to the edge on slower speed. So I start slowing it down to come in, getting ready, you know, coming in really hot for the landing because I think that's what you're going to do. Um, and I'm slowing down and this, this thing doesn't care. It's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, keep, yeah, keep, yeah, go on slower, slower. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, we, it floats into the, into the grass. And my mate was looking at me and he was like, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I, have, I have no idea. And when we checked it, the only thing that was different, because I based mine on his throws and his trim positions. So I completely ripped off his setup for the 9-Av, right? So it wasn't that. It was literally that the central gravity needed to be six millimeters forward. You don't find that kind of stuff by having a wing for five days. You kind you find that by having a wing for two months. So you'll find that the planes that I love will keep reappearing in videos, right? Because they're the ones that I trust and that I love. And then when I go at the field, you know, they don't let me down. Um, you'll find that there are some things like the ZOHD uh, Delta Strike. Um which are pigs? The horror. I'm. I'm not a fan at all. And I, we could go into why, uh, but I'm. I'm not good. You know. But that appeared in one video, and I was like, no, I'm. At, there's no point in me talking to people about this plane, um, and kind of and people seeing it on the channel and thinking that that's an endorsement, uh, because actually there's so much more other stuff that's that's miles more better made out and better thought through. You know, the EDF exhaust wasn't um, far enough back there wasn't enough room for electronics it didn't have enough uh, thrust it was very very twitchy um, it didn't do slow speeds very well which made hand launching difficult it didn't have enough airflow for the EDF for the intakes you know there's a big massive list right but the ones that but the thing is I won't make a video and this is maybe a criticism of me I won't make a video going this is crap and here's why loads of other content creators will do that you know, have the thumbnail where they've got their face in it with the with the thing going, you won't believe what they've just done, dot, dot, dot. You know, that kind of thumbnail and you have to watch to find out. That's not my gig. If But if you see if you see a plane and you keep seeing it on the channel. It probably means it's one of my stable that I love um, because it's, uh, you know, like things like the dolphin. I've actually ordered to go back to your point, Steve. I actually ordered a new set of dolphin foam. 
uh, Banggood was selling it off like $50 or something like that. Uh, my friend pinged me and just went, oh, they're, they're just, and I was like, brilliant, I'm going to order some. Because I love it that much that eventually it is going to have one crash too many and it's, you know, it's going to be unrepairable. And I like I've just done with my AR Wing Pro, I'll just lift all the iNav electronics out, move them across and drop them in the new foam and carry on having a fantastic time. But the cool thing is when you build a model the second time, it's always better because you learned so much the first time of where all your mistakes were and all those, you know, hesitation cuts with the, with the, with the Stanley knife or your Exacto. Um, so it was fun yesterday to do that little series, a uh, little video talking about the, my favorite four planes. Um, but the, the, the funny thing is, if you ask me that in four weeks, it's going to be a different list. I mean, for what, you know, for you guys, you know, what if you had to pick four uh, that you will always take to the when? And I'm not talking about when you're making when you're testing iNav or you're there to impress your friends. It's things that you take that you trust. What would be on your list? Are you asking that of us? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because the cool thing is, Steve, is that I find really cool models by asking these questions. Because we all live in our own little radio control bubble. Um, okay, so I'll go first. And I'll give you guys a chance to think about it. Um, I'm always, I've been an outspoken fan of the Bixler line. And yeah. so the Bixler 2. I've got the Bixler 3 finally dialed in, and that is just a really beautiful plane. And so I was kind of curious about that. It was like, it sounds like the Bixler line was on your list, but not really on your list. There was something about it you didn't like. It doesn't break down for easy transport is my issue, and it doesn't have enough room for modern electronics. The uh, Hobby King could have done a Bixler 4 and done a couple of tweaks and changes and, and had a really, really, but Hobby King just seems to have completely lost the plot. Huh. Well, I keep the on the Bixler three. I keep the the wing together as one piece, and that storage. Period. I don't know if you have a car large enough to fit that because that's what about six and a half feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a trip. There's a reason the AR Wing Pro was designed so the wings come off, and that's because literally it's the only way it'll fit in the boot of my car. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, I, mean, I think that's a difference between you know gas that's what we're complaining about five and a half dollars a gallon and gas that's uh, like eight oh. and a half dollars a gallon. Oh no, we're we're paying over seven pounds fifty per gallon here in the UK. So what's that? Probably about nine bucks, something oh, like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, so so Steve, it could be worse. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we're trying hard to get there. <laughs> we're trying to catch up. Um, no, so yeah, but I, I was curious about that because there was a review I saw of yours in particular. Um, there at one point you actually talking about buying a plane because you had that little white piper cub from hobby king it was the swiss one. Oh yeah the, the j3 j3 yes uh-huh and you were talking about how wonderful it was and how they improved the landing gear and everything and then at the very end it was like and it flies like a tundra and i'm like okay i really want a tundra i don't need this it, it it's it's one of those things I, I like. The thing is, I, I'm, I'm with you on the Bixlers. I prefer, I like the, the version 2 and the Bixler 1.1, I think, were the best two. I think the 3 is a beautiful plane, but it's just it's a bit big and a bit heavy. Um, yeah. You know, I, th I think the 2 was a nice combo of the floatiness and the, and the power. Um, and I, actually, on mine, I've got a pan and tilt, but I haven't flown for two years because since I got my new car, it won't fit in the 
bloody car because all the electronics are out in the wing because it's lo- it's designed for you know longer range well you know edge of line of sight um so all the wires uh, you know i didn't build it to break down like a tool. What, what else would be on your list okay so for for me also would be the ar wing the ar 900 and yep. there's a plane that i like that just very few of us like and it doesn't have a lot of uh, following, I would say, and that is the Ishing Blackwing. Ah, have you ever? I think you might have had that before, but you probably had the kit, as I recall, and it was kind of a bit wimpy, and you didn't really particularly like it too much. Okay, I will revisit that one. I'll have a look at that. But it's nice to mod that plane out. Um, and then uh, you know when we got into basically custom foams, but. Uh, planes I like as well, but um, I, I think you pretty much when I go to the field, I, I like I do like all, uh, when I fly line of sight. I like the Phoenix line of planes, so that Volantix line, so the Volantix Ranger, the Volantix Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, um, and I I don't know I, your list of planes did not. They only had one plane, which was the Ranger that had a traditional tail, so. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of stuff that um, is really easy transport. That's kind of one of my things. And this this is another thing I think that we don't get when we're talking about content creation, is that if you and I have similar requirements, we'll end up probably liking similar stuff. Right. Uh, but if, if we don't, then we won't. And unless you know if you have a match with the content creator that you're watching, it might be that their conclusion is completely erroneous to you. Because as we just, you know, the Bixler... It's a beautiful plane, but I just can't transport the damn thing. I'd have to literally, you know, kind of gaffer tape it onto the roof of the car, which oh, wouldn't, God. which wouldn't be great. Um, I, I love it so much. I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of gaffer's tape, uh, Darren, what are your favorite planes? Uh, well, if I'm going flying, there are there are only really three planes that I take with me every time. Um, that is the Mini AR the AR wing and the uh, Max Frost Riot, which is a line of sight plane. They're the three that every time will get taken. So, yeah, I mean, the, the mini AR, I, ju- I just really enjoy. And that's gone from being a stock plane to something that's completely different from stock. <laughs> um, but both iterations I've actually quite enjoyed. But so having said that, I've... You said the AR, mini AR wing, what are the other two? Uh, the AR wing and uh, Max Frost Riot. Which okay, is a, a line of sight plane. Okay. So the sort of traditional air wing, not the air pro? Uh, yeah, I don't have an air pro. I've just got the original AR wing. Okay. And Luke, you're a guy who's uh, just starting to get back into it right now. You have a whole list of planes you're going to make this summer, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I've had a bit of a hiatus uh, from uni work, so I haven't really flown very much over the last uh, four months or so. Uh, and I've done even less FPV, just because it seems impossible to keep FPV planes flying. Uh, uh, so yeah, I can't really comment too much on FPV planes. Uh, I guess uh, I'm wanting to build an AR Wing Pro uh, that I showed last month, uh, a twin. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that that'll be pretty good. In terms of line of sight, I always seem to come back to three planes. Uh, one is something along the lines of this. So this is a crack pit, uh, a small, this is 600mm wingspan 3D plane uh, for flying line of sight. Uh, a Radian, 
the E-Flight Radian that I always come back to. Uh, I've had, I don't know, five or six of them now. Uh, but yeah, again, they always break, so I always push it too far. Uh, but uh, that's always a, a staple of my collection, and I always take it with me. And then some sort of faster plane. Uh, at the moment, that seems to be a striker that I've converted to twin uh, 2207 motors. Uh, but it can you know, just as easily be uh, a flying wing of some description, you know, something around the, the will do, you know, 120 miles an hour uh, and it's still easy to fly. So, Cool. Mark, are you, can we see you right now? Um, uh, yeah, the chat can see me, so that's not a problem. It's just you and Skype right now who cannot see okay. me. <laughs> but we'll visualize you. Okay, great. <laughs> so everyone's hanging on your. You uh, you definitely have a certain taste in planes. So what are your top? Let's say your top planes you take with you every time. Yeah, so planes I take with me every time. Uh, it would be the Dart 250G, but currently it still has a defect uh, split camera in the nose, so I cannot fly with that. But uh, usually that would be the plane that's always in my car and ready to use. Uh, it's small, it doesn't take a lot of space. Uh, I can put it somewhere on the side and it's just a lot of fun to fly. Um, and another plane that uh, usually always comes with me when I go fly is the uh, AR Pro, of course. Um, when I want to do some, uh, like Lee said it, uh, line of sight edge stuff, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, just just ripping around, uh, not too aggressively, just having some fun. And uh, yeah, one of my current favorites, and I guess uh, I will see some chat messages from Henrik now in the chat, uh, is the uh, the fun jet. Ultra, oh my <laughs> the Funjet okay. 2 Ultra. Um, he got that, you. <laughs> that, 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 that's currently one of the planes where I put most time in building it, beside the clouds maybe, uh, especially by, uh, for getting all the electronics inside uh, with a proper nose. Still some work to do to finish it. Um, it is slower than the, or it's, it's not my high speed plane because it is for sure slower than the uh, Alpha Strike, for example. But damn, this plane is so stable. Really, I flew it in like 30 km per hour gusty winds. You did see nothing in the FPV feed. It's it's like on rails the whole time. Um, and yeah, I, I need to make a few more flights on it and I will uh, put a stronger motor, better prop um, and some more power in it. But yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun to fly it. And I think this or the AR Pro will both be planes that always come with me or at least one of both. Uh, when I go fly, and then everything else depends. Uh, yeah, depends on my needs, what I want to do. I'm just gonna say, it depends on the mood. I think Mark's. That, that, I think that's the fantastic summary. It is. That's exactly what, how it works. I've got a question for you, and that mm. has to do with these um, planes in particular. What I've been noticing is um, these planes that are coming out of Hobby King, in particular. They've come out with, like, for example, in the last couple of weeks, they came out with the Coast Guard um, replica. So it's C-130 Hercules replica, four motors. Um, now, I'm a huge fan of the United States Coast Guard. Actually, all the Coast Guards. Your Coast Guards are similar to ours. Uh, the, the altruistic organizations, wonderful. I love the plane. I love the look of the plane. But um, it's $400. In the, you know, especially now as we're about to head into a worldwide recession, 
Um, what, especially a plane that I'm thinking is probably has a bunch of plastic, 14 plastic servos in it um, with the retractable landing gear and everything else. Uh, are these starting to get, I mean, on one hand, that's cheap when you're looking at spending $5,000 on a plane that's complaining about $400, but that's really, it, that was a $250 plane not even a year ago. Yeah, I think I think what Hobby King were doing, um, because obviously they, they've closed the UK warehouse now, so uh, here in the UK, the shipping for any of their products has become exorbitant. Uh, I'm excited that some of the people that I know are looking to actually start radio-controlled uh, resell business it's here in the UK to address that that market that they've left behind because I think the, the vast majority of us UK pilots used to buy most of our lipos you know the the, the you know at Hobby King probably 60% of their, the, the stuff they shipped out the door was lipos because that's where we all went right um, and since it's disappeared it's like well where else do you go and there were lots of other people coming on so so Hobby King have kind of moved away from that meat and two veg stuff and all the money they made and invested in they used to make some really fun um, products, things like the Bixlers and those kind of products, things like the Tundra. You know, there was, yeah, it was about once every six, eight months, wasn't it? Something like that. We'd have something new. And then what seemed to happen, oh my Lord, I think when, probably when Toby left, or just before Toby left, it was probably three three years ago. What they, what they decided they were going to do is they were going to make because a mold is an expensive thing to actually create to, to inject the, the the stuff into the uh, the uh, the foam they were going to create models that they could reskin and you could have different versions of and the c130 was one of those so it's been available in lots of different liveries now i for me you know again you're talking about different pilots liking different things i'm not a fan of the c130 i think it's a beautiful aircraft but in terms of a flying model that i can get a lot of excitement out of i don't fly in places that have flat landing areas i don't fly in places you know that have long lazy approaches and stuff um you know some of it is scrabbly some of it is covered in you know uh manure because it's a farmer's field you know, that kind of thing isn't going to survive very well for stuff like that. And also it's a transport issue. But what they did is they brought out several different versions. And what they do is they change the paint scheme, essentially. Because when, when it first came out, I was like, you know what? I would love a spooky version of that. A, real, a C-130 gunship with, you know, the whole olive drab green with all, you know, bristling with all that stuff. That would be a fun, interesting one to have as well as other, the other versions. Because it's such... A versatile aircraft like you say it's, it's used in lots of different roles so it's interesting that they've decided to basically just paint it a different color and sell it as something else that's a little bit different um and i personally feel that's a little bit lazy because essentially you're still buying the same model it's probably great for spares and parts and stuff um but you know it, it's something they designed two odd years ago it's been kicking around it's just you know, they slapped a different color paint on the thing. Um, I just, I just think that if you look at what Hobby King are doing now, if that's Hobby King's idea of a new product in inverted commas versus what they were doing four or five years ago, it's it's diametrically opposite. And, and if you look now at people, even people like ZOHD, who used to be the wing designers, who were always coming out with new funky things. You know, it's interesting that. Uh, was it Mark that talked about the Dart 250G? Yes. Yeah. 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 The, the Dart 
uh, is one of my favorite planes of all time. Um, the only thing that spoils it for me is when I was building my first ever one, my wife walked in and looked at it and went, oh, my God, it looks like a flying sperm. <laughs> which which unfortunately is is what it has been known in our house ever since so you know be careful <laughs> and let it letting your wife and when you're building stuff because these names stick but in in terms of the the little wing itself what 650 millimeters something like that the wings came off everything was magnetic it had room inside for flight controller an 850 milliamp power 3s battery would give you 20 minutes of flight time you can put your fpv gear in it it was epic and then they had stuff like that, and then they had the Dart XL, they had the Talons, they had all kinds of different wacky stuff. And every time they brought it out, it really showed some thought about the modern hobby for flight controllers, GPSs, long-range radio systems, you know, cameras, GoPros, FPV equipment. It, it was all really thought out. And it just, it's a shame at the moment that the last two that they brought out haven't been as uh well thought out in my humble opinion you know they're, they're not as kind of you know you open the box and you go wow why why has no one else done that that's such a really cool idea it's very you know it, it does nothing really new that they're doing um it was so, so, so go, go on mark yeah that, that was basically uh what i thought when the ar pro came out uh, this you, you open it up and everything is prepared for a lot of possibilities where you put your VTX receivers, camera for DJI, for analog. Everything works and everything was well thought out. And I and I think they had the same uh, approach on the older ZOHD models like the Talon GT and Dart XL. They had nicely designed uh, a base they had uh, different mounts to uh, install different action cameras at least from what's uh, available at that time. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. th that was the time when uh, GoPro started to make their cameras bigger, like the 8 and 9 and then the 10 and so on. So they won't fit anymore, unfortunately. But uh, on the other hand, um, when you look at the uh, Alpha Strike, for example, it's nearly impossible without a lot of cutting and making vent holes and all that stuff to install an HD cam in the uh, Alpha Strike because if you, uh, the the nose is so far in the front and the distance to the bay is so big uh, that most split cams the cables are too short. And if you want to make the board in the nose, you have to add air vents, otherwise they would overheat. So there, there's a lot of uh, potential lost basically on these on these planes. I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that, Mark, because I do feel like I'm I'm almost a lone voice sometimes when I talk about this, because lots of people have different views and that's absolutely fine but sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm on the minority side but going back to steve's point you know i i uh go back to hobby king i've been talking to hobby king for two years about why don't you guys build a kick-ass fpv plane because you've never really built a plane designed around fpv you've had ones with canopies that you can put a pant servo on we've had some cubs that have optically clear windows so you can put a camera inside and it looks like you're inside the plane but with those guys and their expertise and now stewart's back there you know they they do have the ability now people of ZO, like zohd have lost the plot a little bit uh to really come out with something fantastic with their pedigree and the, it's really interesting. They don't understand FPV. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. In, in particular, scale versus FPV. I, how much scale do you actually... How excited do you get about scale? I don't. 
is the honest answer. Darren, Luke, Mark, do you guys get excited about scale? I would say uh, I like some kind of skill, uh, not these extreme builds like where people go to the flying spot with their big uh, Boeing 747 uh, five meter wingspan models, uh, but like small foam style scale planes, uh, I really like them, but uh, not really for FPV because if I fly FPV, uh, I look out of the plane. I don't see mm -hmm. it anyway. Uh, yeah. The only reason for me to get an, a scale plane, yeah, like uh, Lucas there, or like a, a tundra timber whatever uh, would be to fly it line of sight so i can see it i can see how it looks in the air how it behaves uh, but for fpv i don't really care for fpv the plane uh, has to be fully functional it has to be stable and uh, fly the way i wanted to fly yeah so you guys say something uh yeah uh, I, I'm not a big fan of scale. This is actually my most scale plane. You can see it's in tatters, and I don't, it's, I don't have it because it's scale plane. It's just because it's fast uh, and it's cheap. Uh, I do, however, as Mark Luce, who want to get a scale plane for doing FPV, but I don't actually want a scale plane. I just want any random FPV plane and then mount a scale cockpit on it. It doesn't even have to be, you know, it can be a flying wing with a scale cop. Because once you're looking out of it, it doesn't make much difference. Uh, but I think that would be a, a good experience. Uh, but no, yeah, not really a big fan of uh, scale line of sight. Uh -oh. well, that's an interesting one. He's got the so so we, we can probably move on to something that Darren and I were, were talking about. So um, I, I got this. This is actually a He-Wing model. This is um, an Su-27, I think, a Russian plane. Got this in before the whole, you know, uh, current situation. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got the Russian version. But uh, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is one of those kind of foamy planes. Um, and this is, the reason that I got this in is you see them on loads of channels. They're relatively inexpensive this one is very is expensive for what it is and i don't think it's a very good version so you know uh, this is one of the few that i got in that was disappointed in but it, it'll be super easy for you to kind of make a little cockpit on the front and for you to add fpv gear um and also this is something that i wanted because it because they're not particularly fast putting fpv combat gear on it this would be a fantastic thing to be able to do. Put your FPV on it, put your FPV combat system on it, and to fly around. Because we did some FPV combat stuff uh, last year when I first got the system. And the problem is, is we, we, because we're, you know, we're guys, we're competitive, you can't help it, can you? We've both chosen really fast wings to put our FPV combat system on, right? Um, trying to spot... When somebody's coming at you at 80 miles an hour and you're going, so a combined speed of 160 miles an hour closing uh, with, you know, not because it doesn't work great with the DJI system right now. With analog FPV, 106, you know, the little pixel that's the guy's plane is past you before you've even got your th finger on the trigger. So you need something that's a bit floatier. I actually like the idea of these. I wish there was smaller, lighter scale stuff so going back to mark's point about the dart 250 it would be lovely if we had this kind of cheap and cheerful thing that we could put fpv gear on and have fun you ain't going to be able to fly it if the wind's over eight miles an hour but if you get in a park and you want to have a mess around with your friends and do stuff 
Um, I just love the idea of this. If any of if anybody in the chat knows of good versions of this that you can buy, it's not like the Hobby King Glue and Go, they have a whole line of plants like that. Yeah, and and also the um, yeah, but again, it's Hobby King. You know, the shipping's like tw yeah. you know, the same cost as the as the as the plane now. Um, I mean, I, I am joking aside. I am actually getting in uh, a laser engraver. So, oh, yeah. so, so one of the things in this hobby, right, is you can't help you, you. You start whittling bits of balsa wood to make pieces, and then somebody gets you into, uh, I don't know, maybe something like thermoplastics, you know, that you that you make pieces out of, and then somebody will get you a three into three D printing, and you think that's it. Then my next thing is I'm getting a laser engraver that can cut out balsa and carbon fiber and stuff and do engraving. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm looking at this and going, ah, okay. If I, I, I could probably, you know, the hardest thing is to see where the central gravity is going to be. And Mark over at um, eCalc will probably help me figure that out. Marcus over at eCalc will help me figure all that stuff out. It's probably relatively easy to make because the thing is, the, the you know, the props and stuff on this are so small. This is about as scale as I get, Steve. <laughs> um, and the only reason I've got it is because I think for FPV combat, it would look cool to shoot, you know, to have two jets <laughs> flying around it. Because, you know, flat out, this will do 20 miles an hour. <laughs> but, it, yeah. but it looks great and it makes a fantastic sound. And actually, when it because it doesn't weigh anything, you know, when it hits the ground, apart from, you know, having a snutty nose, that's that's about the most damage in a one little line of hot glue and you're good to go. I'm just I'm excited. I'm interested to get more stuff in this, but maybe I'll be start designing my own with spaces for FPV stuff. They have that uh, 3D. No, it's not 3D. It's a they had a guy on a couple of years ago who uh, had you take the Dollar Tree foam and you put it, you take the flight test uh, information, their, their designs, and it, it's like a laser cutter. It cuts out all the the foam so that you can instead of having to sit there and do it by hand, it does it for you. My first ever wing that ever flew, because I was doing all the Bixlers and all that stuff, uh, was one of those things. And I, I spent a happy uh, week with the, the all these cutting mats on top of the dining room table, carefully measuring it out. So I had to, you know, you printed all of the plans out and then you had to cut them and sellotape them together. And then you were using them to mark the foot. It was fantastic. It flew like a dog because it weighed a ton. I didn't put enough motor on it. But, um, you know, when I, I was so proud it had finished. I mean, there's a, is it the Flurkin that Flight Test have done, which is like a little... Um, it, it kind of yeah. like it, type thing yeah it looks fantastic i must admit i've, I've been looking for steve webbs is my local model shop that carries that stuff uh if i could get hold of a flurkin i would love to try the problem yeah, is with flurkin flurkin is an english guy it sounds like something rude um but i would love to get one to have a go twerking and flurkin that's right <laughs> A friend of mine, a friend of mine, his first plane was the uh, flight test Bushwhacker. Uh, not sure if you have seen that this this bush plane uh, style with the big tires, where you even make the tires tire out, of, out of out of out uh, of sandwiched uh, foam uh, foam, and yeah, it, it was crazy. But uh, yeah. later he upgraded a little bit uh, with a little. Well, I upgraded it with a more powerful motor, and he. Uh, also got uh, special uh, bush plane tires, uh, mm -hmm. model RC, uh, or model plane tires. Uh, so they are much more robust. But the funny thing is, if you use that plane uh, with a lightweight battery, uh, as far as the front as possible, so it, it's 
uh, overall very light, as, as light as possible, this plane flies absolutely great. It's really like on raids, you can you can make a full 180 degree turn on with a radius of two meters or so. Uh, and if you down the flaps, uh, you can, by the way, uh, you can basically dock next to the plane. You can, you can run be, uh, run behind it. Uh, it's 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 so slow and uh, so stable. It's really a lot of fun to fly it. Unfortunately, uh, I have it here, so he uh, he gave it to me when uh, when he moved to another house, and uh, I still have it. I have to fly it, but it's pretty beaten up nowadays because it's a few years old and the stolor foam uh, doesn't last very long. So Lee, a question for you. Um... Let's imagine we got you a Ford Expedition, which is one of those huge, I don't know if they have them in the UK. It's, <laughs> it, we have a family of like 10 kids is what you buy here in the right. States. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like a huge SUV. Uh, let's imagine we got you one of those and you could take whatever point you wanted with you to the field. What would be your kind of no cameras, just you go out and flying? What would you take with you? What would be your ideal day? What ideal planes? So the bigger the bigger planes that I like to fly would be the right wing Drax. Uh, big fan of the right wing Drax. They are blooming expensive, uh, but uh, I didn't get it until I've. I, I was actually uh, the, the story behind my right. My very first right wing Drax is is kind of a, a slightly funny one, and I won't go into. But I was. I got involved in a show on TV that was about radio control, and it was one of those things where it was the, the, they promised it was all going to be about promoting the hobby and all this stuff because they weren't paying us, right? It was one of those gigs. Um, wow, you, you know, you only ever do that once, and you come away and you go, okay, never doing that again. Um, and it and it was a really shocking experience, and I wouldn't, I would, would never do TV again in that situation. Because if they're not paying you, they're just going to basically bend you over. What was um, this the Channel Four thing? Mm -hmm. uh, it, was it the Channel Four thing, the Spitfire? I, I couldn't I couldn't possibly comment because contractually I, I can't. Um, but uh, but <laughs> but yeah, there, there's been a, there's been a few things, but it it, it just you know the, the 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 production teams tend to treat you uh, as. Uh, an extension of the production team so you have loads of responsibility but no authority to do anything so whenever anything goes wrong you're the guy that they shout at so um, in this particular instance I literally spent two weeks charging lipo batteries and setting up open TX radios um, and getting shouted at by the production team after the second day I nearly walked off the set everyone all the other people who was in the pit crew with the exception of one who is uh, I, I won't mention his name but he is Still one of my friends, and he is a fun. He he has the patience of a saint. The rest of us, literally, going to punch somebody out. Every, all everybody walked off. The problem is, it was two hundred miles away from my home. Otherwise, I'd have just gone. You know what? Stick this up your backside. I'm out. Um, because the, the you know the, the way it was sold to me to give up two weeks to go and do this thing, and what it was was very different. So I wasn't in a great place, but I couldn't leave because if I left, it would land the pilots who didn't know OpenTX and didn't have other people to do the LiPo batteries. It would drop them in the in the poo, right? Because it's kind of like, well, I'm here now. I'm just going to suck it up. So I, I was in a very bad place, but I was in one of the accommodation blocks with a pilot that I'd watched at Western Hall 
Is that what the the show here in the UK? Oh, Western, the Park. Western Park. Western yes. Park. So so it was filmed after Western Park, and I'd been watching Western Park, and I'd seen a pilot with a with a drag. No, it wasn't Western Park. Beg your pardon. It was the mini air show. But anyway, I'd seen this pilot, and he was he was flying one of the drags, and it looked like something unearthly, and I was just. I was a little, I was a little bit jealous. I thought they're, they're pretty fab. That's pretty fab. And the noise that the drags make, yeah. you know, they're not stealth, right? <laughs> you know, thirty miles away, there's people looking up from their from their cup of tea, wondering what the hell that noise is, right? It just they're screamers. Yeah. And, and he he was doing, he was flying inverted. He was a fantastic pilot. Anyway, I ended up in the same berth as him, and uh, we both called it a night early. Um. Sorry, this sounds like there's something you know dodgy going on, it, and it was we were in separate beds and everything, different sides of the thing, and we were, we're so the lights are off and we're chatting in that natural way. And I was saying I love that plane, you know that I, I really like the way you were flying it. Is it fantastic? And he went, oh, I think such and such has got them in stock. So I pulled out my phone and had a look, and it was like I don't know two hundred pounds or something for the foam bits, yeah, whatever it was at the time. Was it the full uh, size drag or the mini drag? This was the mini at the time. Okay. um and yeah, uh sizes double that pretty much yeah yeah the, yeah it, it, literally you know you could probably get two of them put handles on and just jump off this <laughs> jump off a cliff and just float <laughs> down um so so uh but i but i was i was so uh, you know kind of uh, naffed off about everything i just thought I, i'm i'm gonna give myself something to look forward to i will order it and i ordered it and it came and then i got into chris at right wing and um i said look, i'm gonna make a build series and stuff and he said, and I said, you know, what's the best motor and prop and servos? Because it, it literally was a box of foam with carbon rods in and stuff. Um, I don't think it even had servo horns and things. It literally it was the most expensive two hundred pounds worth of foam you've ever seen in your life. So I ordered all the rest of it. So that was another hundred and fifty dollars for the motor and the because uh, it was especially SC and all this stuff. And it came and it arrived, and I'm sad to say it sat in my garage for about twelve months because it was like about 400 pounds by this point and it was just a load of foam a box full of electronics and i'm thinking there's no way that that is going to be when i put that together there's no way that that's going to be worth i'm going to have 400 pounds worth of smiles out of that uh <laughs> oh my god i was wrong wow i was wrong because <laughs> I, I put it together i took it flying and the and it flew like nothing i've ever had uh, flown before uh well, i put iNav in it um uh, and i put i put the dji hd system in it this was early one of those i think um and it was just fantastic even even when in full manual mode it, it it was unaffected by the wind it was just great so that that would be one that i would take if you if i had a ford f-150 pickup truck right and there was room in the back the drac and i also have the nano drac which is just as epic um i'm on my second body on that one long story um because that was a yeah that was a, a 90 well it was about a 200 pound mistake because i smashed the body and i also destroyed the hd camera at the front of that one as well so it was like oh fantastic um but when they go in because they go very quickly you know it's one of those where they don't just hit the ground you have to go and get a spade and dig them out <laughs> that is very true yeah you know they, they kind of just go oh that, that's you know i'm going to see what 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 new zealand looks like i'm burying you know see, see ya um I, but and then yeah, it, yeah. I know they're just they're just fantastic i mean darren what do you think of them well, well two days ago this one 
landed inside a concrete shooting range just about hitting the only bit of grass in there and took a massive divot out of the grass but there's absolutely nothing wrong with it not even you got a slight wrinkle there <laughs> that's it and i had to replace uh one of these bolts that's 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 the total damage to the mini drac and it took a huge lump out of the dirt <laughs> that those carbon reinforce reinforcements in the nose along with the, the foam that's made out of as particularly if you do what darren's done and you laminate it or cover it it does to it does make it into a lethal weapon you know and because that, that that thing will do 100 plus miles an hour without breaking a sweat and the noise it does it is great so that would be one um the bixler you know going back to what we were talking about before yeah. the bixler has inav in it running on a brain fpv flight controller so it has the vectron screen display it has a pan and tilt head tracker set up on it so you can literally you know let inav take the wheel in essence and you know with a horizon mode and then you can put your head tracker on and you can you know you can have a look around you can look over the side it's fantastic um it's those bigger planes that i would probably use more uh, and also things like the tundras i like I, I like the tundras um you know going back to i don't fly a lot of scale the tundra is i guess kind of scale um also the atom rc killer whale i like that uh, I think that's that's a really nice model. Atom RC have kind of taken over, in my humble opinion, from what ZOHD were doing two years ago. They're bringing out some really interesting stuff. Now, the website last time I looked, though, only had the Dolphin listed because they came out with a Mobius, was it? There was a little wing they did, and they did something called the Little Flying Fish, which was a little kind of park twin. Yeah, yeah, Adam G has a flying fish. He absolutely loves it. It's, it is fantastic. It's it's like the ZOHD Drift. You know the one that has the little carbon spar. It's oh, like yeah. what it's like one of them on steroids. Both of them are a fantastic floaty planes. But you don't need a flight controller in them. You don't need a stabilizer, particularly because it's a twin. There's no torque from the motors because that you know, and, and you just throw it and it just yeah okay. See you around. Just heads for the clouds and it's great. Uh, but but so I, I quite like those bigger models that I, that I would uh, kind of travel with. And I would probably do a little bit more line of sight then because it, you can do stuff with those bigger models. Because the thing is, you know, as Mark was saying, with the, with the FPV stuff, you're looking out the front of the thing anyway. You can't see what, what it... So long as it flies well, has good endurance, good manners, good behaviour, you return to home, your GPS is working, your camera's okay, you know, you don't really care what it looks like behind you. Yeah, the only other thing you might worry about is how much noise you're making to scare all the sheep or let everyone, you know, if you're in a drag 30 miles away, know you're flying. Um, but it, but it, those were the things I would put in there, brother. It's all the stuff that's currently right at the back of the garage. I was in there today putting the patio furniture out because we've had a beautiful day here today. Um, and it's amazing. My, my wife wandered in. She hardly ever goes into the garage because, you know, it's a man, it's a man thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, so she walked in to help me move the furniture and, and took one look around and went, oh, it's got quite full in here again, hasn't it? And I was <laughs> like, oh, yes, it has. Because it's probably been three, four years since I had a real clear out and got rid of all the older stuff. But, but everywhere you look, you see another plane. In, and some of them are like, you know, um, uh, balsa gliders and things like that. You know, because I, I love that kind of stuff. And I and there's a new ELRS, a new PWM receiver with a Vario on it. Yeah. 
you know, it's like brilliant. That would be great, you know. And the new Radio Master Radio has an ear, um, a head, what do you call it, headphone jack at the back. I would love to have a, you know, my little thing in my ear with the Vario letting me know whether I was ascending or descending. Just stick some FPV goggles on, and then, you know, just throw it, get to altitude, and then see how long I could stay up. That sounds great. But again, you have to have the room in order to fit those things in. You know, a two meter glider. This is uh, always know. my favorite question I like to ask of you guys. I don't know if I asked this of you before, but um, with, you review a lot of planes, and um, you can't keep them all. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> how do you uh, get rid of these planes? Are your friends sick and tired of all the planes? Like, you give out all the models. That's what happened with Andrew Newton. He was like, even his friends were like, I can't take any more. Uh, my my friends don't usually have to buy many fixed wings. Uh, they usually, yeah, Christmases and birthdays, I'm just like, oh, hallelujah, I can get rid of one. Um, this is another reason why I do like models that don't go together with glue that are held together with screws. Um, not just because they are good for transport, but you can actually pack them away again in the box. You know, a, a glider, when it's in a box, is going to take up, I don't know, kind of, you know, 12 inches by 12 inches by, I don't know, three, four feet in a box. Uh, when it's all put together, you know, it, it's kind of designed to be the most awkward, bloody thing on the planet until you throw it into the air. And once you've got three or four of them, then they're always banging and knocking into each other and you know damaging the coverings and the hanger rash and all that stuff so for me i'm a big fan of i love it when a manufacturer thinks of how you can pop the wings off and you can put it back in a box because you know you can have 12 wings or 12 models in a in a big you know kind of six foot pile of boxes um and that's easy whereas trying to find somewhere else and the other thing you know today um I did that thing where I, I bumped into, we have a patio heater at the back of the garage. You know, one of those kind of big, tall mushroom ones. So it kind of has the you know, the propane tank in the bottom and then like a shaft that goes up into like a big heater yeah, thing. Well, at the top. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, but, the heater. Yeah, kind of like patio heater. So, so you know, we I bought it, used it once, and, uh, and then we never used it again. A brilliant investment. But... It's because the top of it, it's in a cover. The top of it is where all of the bigger planes get shoved. <laughs> right? Because there's just enough room. There's about, there's about, I don't know, about 18 inches between the top of it and the top of the garage, right? So, so the thing is, all these planes, every time there's another one, and it's like, have you guys ever played Kaplunk? Yeah. Right? So, for those of you that don't know what Kaplunk is, what it is, it's a game where loads of marbles sit on top of lots of little straws, and those straws are crisscrossed, and you pull the straws out one by one, and, and the idea is is that, you know, you don't the, the, the little marbles don't drop through. But all of them are so closely connected together that if you pull one straw, the whole thing kind of falls down. Well, this is what these planes were like today. And they were, it was all precariously, you know, everything was balanced on there, and I, I was uh, rolling up the extension cord and I bumped into this thing and it was like having a shower of foam because I was bending <laughs> down and my, you know, my wife kind of shouted and literally there were planes bouncing off my back and I just said and she started picking them up I went no just let me do this 
because if if I, if I break anything, then it's all my fault, and I can only I can only shout myself. And it took me probably another fifteen minutes to put them all back. So so you're right. You know, storage of these things quads is easy, right? You know, behind me in these, there's probably twelve, thirteen quads. You can kind of stack them up. You know, you can hang them on hooks. You know, you can put them in the boot of the car. You can put them in a backpack. Dead easy. You can find a place for a quad. Um, but what I do is i i don't like destroying planes and scrapping them i think that's just a ter terrible waste before covid there were, uh, some of my mates are in things like um rc clubs so so what i'll do in those instances is i'll donate some of the planes to the club to raffle for charity oh great so that's great because right because then everyone's happy. I get rid of some planes. I get a bit more space back. My mate, you know, can can be a, you know walk into the club and go right. We're doing a raffle. You know, some some I don't know St John's ambulance or the Coast Guard or whoever can have a couple of bucks, and some of the guys at the club can get a new plane. Everyone's happy. I used to do that a lot. Um, and then the other one, of course, is yeah, is friends. Um, and so one of my flying buddies, uh, his daughter has shown an interest in radio control. Which like so, small planes. Yeah, yeah. So so but I've got trainers and things in the garage that I don't fly and I'm never gonna fly because you know I've got other things that are always gonna you know that those precious hours that we get to fly. I want to fly something I'm excited about. So as soon as he told me that, I was like, brilliant, uh, do you want to play? And he was like, that would be really good. And so I was like, okay, well, we've got a choice of two. Um, so so not only him, but his daughter potentially is going to have a go. And that also means that for him, you know, if the plane gets damaged and she crashes it, because that's what's going to happen, it's a trainer. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's a situation where his family is going to have a problem because we've just spent £110 on a plane. It lasted 15 minutes and it's now smashed to pieces because it was it was free from Lee you know then then there's not as much pressure and i think in those instances particularly when you're learning if you can if you're lucky enough to get a freebie then the that the pressure isn't isn't there as well there isn't that you know that little voice in the back of your head that says oh that's a lot of money you've got up there if you may get this wrong you know if you crash if you crash this you're going to have the walk of shame and you're going to have to explain to your other half how you've just destroyed 200 pounds worth of equipment um so no I, all my friends yeah absolutely bored of wings um uh, also i give them away through things as well uh, but i i'm hoping now that covid's finished I can donate some of them again to some of the clubs for things like raffles uh, because I just think that's a really nice way to do it and lots of people get benefit that way. Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, we are up against the break right now. We have a 182nd break coming up. It's three minutes. Um, I've learned last time that three minutes is actually not 90 seconds. It makes a difference now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss autopilot and with their INAV uh, conversion. So we'll see you in a few. Hey, welcome back. While on the break, somebody had a question and Lee wants to answer it. So Lee, what's the question and what's the answer? So somebody had a really good question and, th and thank you for asking the questions because we're just having a lovely chat in here and I haven't got the questions up because I can only do one thing at once. I'm a guy. I can, re I can see things in 3D and read maps, but I can't multitask. But Darren uh, told me there was a really good question, which is how does the Atomarcy Dolphin compare with the Dart? 
and I, um, it's it's an interesting one. So the Dolphin is an awful lot bigger than the Dart, even things like the Dart XL. So we have to be careful when we talk about the Dart because there's three versions. The Dart 250, which is the baby lightweight one. Uh, lots of people like it, including people like Mark, obviously, but I, I think it's a bit too small it's, uh, and lightweight. I prefer the old Dart, the Flying Sperm, as my wife christened it, that is no longer available. There was the Dart XL. I'm assuming we're talking about the Dart, which was the middle one, the kind of 700 million. Yeah, it, it was about the sperm. <clears throat> right, the sperm. <laughs> Sorry, see, this is. It, it's going to stick. I'll, I'll, I'll let my wife, I'll, I'll let my wife know. That it's not just me now that calls it that. There's a whole group of people. So, uh, so the dolphin is a lot, lot bigger. Uh, in terms of flying characteristics, it is very similar. If you like the dart, you will love the dolphin. It is uh, impeccably mannered, very graceful, very stable. Uh, it is very, very easy to launch. So, you know, you it's got little uh, ribs on the bottom, you know, a nice chuck and it'll just soar into the air. It's nice and efficient too. You're going to need a much bigger battery than you need in the dart. But it's not one of those models that, you know, after five minutes, it's all over. You have to land with a big enough battery. You can get 20, 30, 40 minutes of flight time out of it. The big benefit with the Dolphin is because of the larger size, the slightly heavier weight, it'll handle wind better. And there's also much more room inside for modern electronics. So if you want to put your HD system in there or your iNav, which of course you're going to do because otherwise why are you listening to this, then there is tons of room. In mine, I have my FPV combat system. I added that in with its own separate 433 radio and everything after the fact when I put the flight controller in. The only reason I could do that because I didn't plan it from the beginning is there is so much room inside it was either do that or let out the battery bay as a room in my house so that somebody could move in and I could make a few bucks. It's literally that big. So if you like the dart and you want something bigger, the dolphin actually is something you will love. And you're saying you have a new plane that's coming that you might even like even more? Well, so the, the one that's on its way. So I, I am about to start a new iNav for beginner series um i'm still getting loads of questions from pilots who are coming from multi-rotor into fixed wing and they look at iNav and the interface which we're all going to talk about in a minute the interface looks like beta flight <laughs> so it's it's beta flight right and i know beta flight can't be that different and wings are obviously simpler than multi-rotors can't be that hard to set up uh the, the iNav for beginner series the last one that i did that was designed for beginners that went through every step in lots of minute detail was 2020. So, you know, in INAV terms, we're talking two, six, probably something like that. Um, pretty much 90, 95% of the stuff that's in that series is still relevant for 4.1 today because INAV development team did such an amazing job of keeping the things consistent. But I'm getting one of those Mars planes in. So the Mars, it looks like the dolphin's bigger brother and i've heard nothing but great reviews about this so the idea with the mars is that i can do a dolphin style series uh, and then at the end of it once i've actually built it out with inav and flown it then i can do a review of the mars plane right but i'm i for the people who have flown it that i know that i spoke to i've basically said if, if you love the dolphin then the, the Mars is going to be another one that kind of, you know, has this little special place in your heart. Uh, I think it's a little bit bigger than the Dolphin. So as I was just joking to Darren while the uh, the things were playing, I am going to have to try and for hopefully the wings will, I can make the wings so they come off easily. Um, but uh, but it just, it's another one of those planes that just looks 
spectacular. And, you know, I think the dolphin does things like the Drax do. I love all those kind of, you know, slightly science fiction looking wings uh, because as they soar over your head, they just they just look so fab. And I think the Mars will be like that. Fantastic. Is Adam Marcy make the Mars or is that a different manufacturer? Uh, I'm not sure who makes the Mars, actually. I'd have to look that up. Um, it's okay. not here yet. It was supposed to be here by now. Uh, the, 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 we'll the find out more about that. Yeah, <laughs> stay tuned. I'm, stay uh, tuned. Yeah, yeah stay I'm looking tuned. forward to hearing about this. Uh, that amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. And, and uh, again, I only get stuff in that I really want to have a look at. But I think the Mars could be one of the next uh, big things. Um, fingers crossed. I'll be sure to order it and build it in about three years. So fantastic. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully we're building things you are. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that answers the question from the person about the dart and stuff. Um, uh, but but yeah, do, do we want to kind of talk a little bit and circle back to the uh, the interface and Ardu pilot then? Because we're, we're kind of wandering into that territory, aren't right, we? Right, so that's the big topic of today. And before we get into it, I just want to say that um, I would like to, the one thing that I really... Uh, when we started the group in particular, there was, I started, I wanted to focus on something that was not political because I think a lot of people just get involved in politics and it's always, you know, my tribe. So when we have this conversation, it's very easy for us to get into our tribe and there's where the INAB tribe and there's the Ardor Pilot tribe and um, we're an enthusiast community. So I'm hoping that we just kind of have a good, fair, balanced conversation. With that being said, the people who are involved here, we have the right group of people here today for this conversation. Uh, Luke has used Ardor Pilot professionally. Uh, Lee is a fan of Ardor Pilot. Mark has tried Ardor Pilot, and he had a, wrote an article about using it for a couple of years ago. And Darren is just right now putting Ardor Pilot on his first plane. So, is that correct? Well, yeah. I put it on there about two years ago. Maybe that tells you everything you need to know about Ardu Pilot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it took that long to get it ready. <laughs> did, so did you update, by the way? Rewind a bit and kind of describe what Ardu Pilot, where it came from. I believe it came out in 2008 timeframe, and so hopefully Luke has some information about this about how long Ardor Pilot's been around. And then also, I don't want to get, if we're going to describe something, hopefully we can we can talk about what it is. Like, we're going to talk about the Pixar Cube. Um, so we'll describe that that's the professional version of Ardor Pilot that's sold. So things like that, we'll get into it. So Luke, when did this Ardor Pilot first come out? I believe 2008. Uh, I mean, I'm probably not really the right person to ask about this. I've only been using Ardor Pilot for uh, personally, the last three, four years, uh, and then professionally, the last two years. Uh, I think it came out around two thousand eight. Yeah, some sometime around somewhere somewhere around there. Uh, I know that it started off with Arju plane and then Arju copter. Uh, yeah. So this is they've been out a full ten years before iNav came out. We know of as iNav, and what I've seen in particular is that. Um, Mark and Lee said, oh, he's got a... Yeah, Lee's just put a, a comment in our Skype chat uh, that I'll put in the YouTube chat with the history of Ardu Pilot. I'm sure it's a good read. Okay, good. So, do you, Lee, do you happen to know when Ardu Pilot came out? 
Yeah, it's it's a very long history compared to INAV. Uh, you know, the, the, this one is kind of as a project is drawing its old age pension and worrying about its prostate. You know, this 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 has been around so much longer, but because of that, the code that's in there has gone through a awful lot more testing. Now, it's very easy as an INAV pilot to discount Ardycopter and Ardy plane. Um, and, uh, but I think that there is there's lots of things that you can do with the RD pilot family that INAV cannot do. Uh, and I, I, I think that it, it's one of those things that INAV doesn't do everything, just like beta flight doesn't do everything, like clean flight, like RD pilot doesn't do everything. So, for example, I wouldn't I'd never put RD pilot on a quadcopter for racing. Right. Although people, you know, people have, you know, there's a something called a Pix Racer, which was a piece of hardware kind of designed for that, but nobody ever did because you know what, if you're going to race, you're going to be to fly. So it's horses for courses. It, it, it kind of started back in t uh, 2009, uh, the original RD pilot, and then uh, there were hardware. Uh, that kind of came out that were kind of optimized and designed around the Ardu Pilot family. Ardu Pilot, let's define our terms a little bit. Ardu Pilot is a family of software, right? So it's a group of stuff. So there's Ardu Copter, which was originally developed for copters, the clues in the name. That's the one that there was then wasn't just designed for helicopters which is what it was originally designed for it was then enhanced so it could do multi-rotors there's something called ardu plane you can probably guess what that's designed around um there's what there's there's one called ardu uh, rover and that does uh, ground-based vehicles autonomous uavs there's one called ardu boat you, you're getting the idea there's also one called ardu sub and there's also an antenna tracker part of the project as well so there's probably about six different specific versions of the code for specific platforms so like inav is for multi-rotors uh, or fixed wing with mission planner um, which is the, the software that you use with this stuff ardu pilot can be done for anything and as you install the firmware you can decide whether it's going on a copter or multi-rotor a plane a sub a rover whatever it is and the the really nice thing is is that for a lots of professional users use Ardu Pilot and trust Ardu Pilot, um, and the the way it works is that the APM you probably heard of APM. This my videos were twenty fourteen, um, yeah. so APM one and then APM two and APM two point sixes were the ones that everyone was using. Um, Arduino based flight controllers, eight bit. Uh, criminally underpowered by today's standards but with an art with an apm2 and arducopter you could build a multi-rotor back in 2014 that could do things that things like clean flight could only dream about it had autonomous missions it had gps return to home it had the ability to fly in an amazingly buttery smooth way it had lots of uh, filters inside so there's a reason that professional pilots use it now from about 2011 which is when apm2 came out uh, we've ended up with something called the pixhawk series of flight controllers so there was uh, the pixhawk kind of came around 2013 ish the pixhawk was a 32-bit version of the flight controller and then ardu 
Pilot continued to support the Pixhawk firmware for quite a long time, and eventually they retired the support for the APM. I think it was 3.2.1 of Ardu Pilot that finally kind of said 8-bit is dead. Um, and then now today, fast forward to today, we have something called the Pixhawk Cube, which is the latest generation of the Pixhawk. It's custom firmware. The Pixhawk Cube Orange is H7, uh, very, very lots of memory. Uh, it has I, the IMUs are vibration isolated. Inside the little cube where all the sensors are, there's a little heater to maintain uh, an even temperature so you don't get temperature drift. It has multiple redundant sensors so that if you have an erroneous reading from one sensor, it'll automatically do a comparison with something else. You can attach multiple GPSs. You're getting the idea. So this yeah. is a super duper high-end professional grade system that you can download for free, stick on non-Pixhawk technology now, because they did that three or four years ago. And the development recently has all been around putting it on uh, what they call, I think, um, closed architecture. They have a really weird way of describing stuff. But if you have a Matex flight controller that we put, you know, like a Matex 405 wing that we'd normally put iNav on, that'll also run Ardu Pilot. And now these days it supports things like CRSF. So you can use it with Crossfire. You can use it with ELRS. It'll support uh, OSDs. You know, that only came in just under two years ago. You know, before then, Ardu Pilot and on-screen displays and FPVs were not bedfellows. You could make it work, but you were having to flash separate little boards to try and make it all work. And now it'll also do things and support the DJI HDFPV system. So it's it's changed dramatically. The interface that you use to set all this magic stuff up, if you're using Arducopter, is something called Mission Planner. Now, Mission Planner was written by a guy called Michael Osborne, a very, very talented chap. It looks like it does. When I first started playing with this stuff back in 2012, if you load Mission Planner up today, it looks identical <laughs> to what it looked like 10 years ago, which if you are an Ardu pilot, pilot, then every time Ardu uh, Mission Planner is updated and you go into the new version of Mission Planner, it's like putting on an old pair of comfy slippers. You're like, OK, I know where I am. The interface, though, is dramatically different from what we know from the uh, DIY smaller side of the hobby. So if you use the Clean Flight Beta Flight iNav interface, it is completely different. And it's very alien if you've never used it before, but it's very powerful. And that kind of brings us, Steve, I guess, to what's going on now. Okay, so thank you for that. Just, I, mean, I think that something that's good to add, because uh, we've already almost confused the two. Ardu Pilot and Pixhawk are separate things. Pixhawk is to Ardu Pilot as Matek is to iNav, but uh, Pixhawks are made only for Ardu Pilot. You know, it's... Um, well, yeah, unless we're talking about PX4 and Q ground control and those things, but but yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. That's yet another complication on the hospital. So Although on that that point of the, the Pixhawk is something that is um, it's hardware. Well, it's hardware, right? But this was it's commercial hardware. It's basically Arduino custom firmware designed for commercial drone industry. 
Uh, yes, but there are other versions based on the similar architecture. So there's things like the Durandal from Hollybro. Hollybro also has something called the Pixhawk 5X. There's lots of other versions that are still Pixhawks that will still run Ardu Pilot and be supported by Ardu Pilot. Some of them are slightly cheaper. Some of them have less of the bells and whistles. Some of them have more ports. Some of them have less. So just like in our side of the hobby, it isn't like you know you have to have the Pixhawk Cube or you go home. There's an awful lot of choice in the hardware. And look, they thank you for bringing that up because it the, it's a completely different set of terminology i hear a lot of people talking about ardu pilot as the family when they're talking about one of the specific versions they talk about pixhawk when they meet ardu pilot they talk p they meet they say px4 when they talk about pixhawk yeah, there's a lot really of it's just completely separate it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's a whole other thing, which we're not going to get into because it will blow yeah. everyone's mind. But just, just know that, yeah, Pixhawk is the hardware, Ardu Pilot is the firmware, and Mission Planner is the historic interface that you use to smush those two together and set them up. The only thing I want to bring this up is uh, that there's professional funding for the developers through the Pixhawk line of developing for the Pixhawk line, for the Cube line in particular. Um, where um, I believe that U.S. government contracts for military uh, have helped fund the Ardor Pilot project. So, so all of, the, uh, without going into detail, there have been a couple of projects that I've been involved in for the U.S. military. And uh, for those projects, they cannot use components manufactured in China for obvious reasons. Okay. There is a, ver th th there is, uh, the cube itself, if you actually look at a Pixhawk cube, there's a carrier board, which is about the size of a pack of playing cards. And on that is a cube, hence the name. The cube is different colors. The, the orange one is the default one. It originally was black, you know, classic black. You can't go wrong from there. And then they decided that that wasn't pretty enough. So now there's an orange one. There's a purple one, which is a half height version, which doesn't have the vibration isolation. There are lots of different versions, but there's a blue one. The blue one costs two or three times as much as the orange one, and that's because it's manufactured on the mainland USA, which allows it to be used in military applications. So we have the background. Mark, was there something you wanted to say before we get into this next? Um, we're going to jump into the current day here in a second. Um, nothing special. I think uh, most things were said. Um, um, yeah, I think I think we will go to the configurator thing, and uh, maybe we will okay. come up with more topics right. then. So basically what happened was INAV came out in 2018 timeframe, somewhere around there, 2017s. I can't, don't know the exact time, but um, around 2020 is when our group really started to really kind of start working with the developers, you know, especially during the time of COVID. So there was a lot of development that went on in 2020. And we have some guys here like Darren, who's actually taken, you know, the guy works really hard and he comes home and he writes code for INAV. So, I mean, there's, talk about someone who has skin in the game about this conversation. So I wanted to phrase that. Mark also has done a lot of work with INAV as far as the development. Uh, can you guys, and maybe Darren, to explain what has happened here with the Code Developer Conference for Ardu Pilot? Uh, well, it's, it's something actually Pavel sort of talked about a few months ago um so it, it was sort of known it was happening anyway but what's basically happened is um obviously INAV is open source and we have two sides again so we have firmware side the configurator side 
And what the guys at RG Pilot have done is taken the INAV configurator and forked it, which means at that point in time, they have an exact copy of the INAV configurator. And then they can change that to work with their uh, firmware. So they can configure their flight controllers through this different configuration interface. So that's basically what's happened. So why are they doing this? If I'm perfectly honest, because I think Mission Planner is horrible for someone new to it. Um, uh, I mean, uh, I was joking about the two years, but I did actually spend a lot of time trying to get that thing set up. Um, originally, I have a Sky Hunter racing somewhere, um, which I tried to set up with Arduino Pilot. I actually, I think I followed Lee's video at the time. Uh, he was using an F-405 wing, but I was using an F-405 standard. Um, again, it's, it was written with specific firmware for that flight controller, but there were just so many things wrong when I actually got it set up. I just ended up giving up on it. And I think that was on version 3 point something. Uh, I tried again with that wing, uh, which had version 4.0.8 on it. So at that point in time, the firmware must have been changed. Uh, so, so the issues I had were um, followed the wiring diagrams, all the servos were in the wrong places, even following the official diagrams. Also, the arrow pointing forward, stabilization was in the wrong place. Trying to Google how to fix, I mean, obviously the servos you can just resolder, but trying to fix the orientation of the flight controller, Google didn't really show anything up. So I ended up having to go through the whole, or through the parameter tree list trying to find a parameter, but I don't know what it's called, to work out how to reorient the flight controller when I shouldn't have had to do it anyway. It should have been built into that firmware target because it was for that specific board. But yeah, going on to the late, the next time I tried, it did go a lot smoother. Um, so the firmware must must have been updated for that, that target. But um, there were still things that I, I thought should have been really simple to do, but were just sort of buried in the interface, yeah. in the, the parameter list. I, I think I think in Ardu Copters or Ardu Pilots Defense here, what what we're looking at is what was originally a relatively proprietary system. They had one lot, one or two or three lots of hardware that they had to deal with. The wiring diagrams were dead easy. You know that the hardware had to comply with a hardware standard in order for the target to work. It, it was relatively easy and straightforward. That paradigm oh my gosh i've busted out the p word on a uh, on, on on easter sunday that paradigm was blown apart about two and a half years ago where the fresh developers that have come in decided that actually it didn't need to be a pixhawk anymore it could be any flight controller and they created an abstraction layer based i think it's a linux abstraction layer that actually runs on the hardware and that then ardu pilot runs on top of that now that yeah, that's was called a, cbus yeah and and that was a game changer right that that no longer meant that you had to have a pixhawk of whichever flavor color raspberry ripple coconut whatever right you could you could get a matic flight control you could do it but i think what happened was the floodgates burst open loads of people started developing targets and I think that it's taken a little bit of time. And I think Darren's got caught in that situation where the documentation and the code weren't in lockstep. 
problems were being found, code was being released before it was being put through all the rigors. So rather than the situation that we had before Chibius abstracted the hard, the hardware from uh, Arducopter, before then it was easy. You bought the flight controller, you put the software on it, everything was known. There was no, it was like an Apple you know, it was like the iOS, plug and play, right? It was really tricky to mess it up. We went from there to the brave world of iNav and everything else where there's like, you know, 300,000 different flight controllers and, you know, dozens of different ways of plugging it all together. And it's taken them quite a bit of time to catch up with that. And I think, touch wood, we're almost there. But, you know, that mission planner like I said before, it's the same interface that from 10 years ago, but now it's having to deal with all of this complexity that it wasn't designed for back in the day, plus things like VTOL, quadplane, all that technology is in there, but it's but it's kind of hidden away. To configure anything, you have to, you know, it looks like you're entering the matrix, you're in lines of CLI in, in your parameter list rather than nice little click on icons and pictures, which is, you know, what new pilots in particular really need. Yeah, <laughs> from a new pilot perspective, it to me, it's like, um, obviously it is really, really powerful, but the really simple things are hidden away. That was the issue what I had. Um, and obviously it's something that's, it started off, as you say, for a specific type, uh, hardware set had a specific function and it has just grown and you have this monster parameter list and not much in front of it. I mean, I, I, mean, I was joking on a thread the other day saying it took me two days to scroll to the bottom of it, but it is, it is quite a list. Um, for me, for, for me, yeah, sorry, go ahead. just one sec, one sec, Mark. It's, it's, if you're a big, if you are used to using it, you know, parameters that, um, that you need to change. I was speaking to Luke about it earlier and he basically, yeah, I'll just do it all in notepad, it's job done. But if, if you're new to it, you don't know which parameters that you need to find and they're not necessarily labeled in a way you'd expect. Uh, that that was my biggest issue with it. Uh, sorry, Mark. Yes, yeah, so, so basically for me, uh, the experience was pretty much the same. My first auto plane I have set up in uh, 2020 and my first copter, it was in 2019. And for the first autocopter, I used these uh, Pixar clones, these Pixar 2.4.8 or whatever uh, the version numbering was. Um, and with that one, because the layout was the same as the original one, I just put autopilot on there. I saw in the configurator, okay, th that's that. Uh, uh, motor one goes to that port, motor two goes to that port, and so on. Everything was co was connected, and everything worked out of the box. So the uh, the the difficult stuff was later to uh, get the copter tuned. But autopilot has auto tune for copters. What's pretty neat. Um, that also worked very well. Uh, so m yes. at the end, my biggest issues were my my cheap s 3D XR clone telemetry link system to my laptop and my FlySky radio. I used back then so these two things were uh, the were actually the stuff that made me trouble and uh, then in 2020 I built my first uh, plane that was an AR ring my long range AR ring with an F405 ring and in this case I might have been lucky because the F405 uh, was from the beginning uh, pretty well documented and it also mostly worked out of box um, but then last year I tried to or oh, 
I did put autopilot on my XUIV clouds with an F765 ring. And there the story was whole different. Uh, the orientation of the flight controller was correct, but the UARTs, for example, were completely messed up. So uh, the flight controller is uh, labeled as uh, TXRX1, TXRX2, 3, 4, 5 is skipped, I think, or 5 is only a, um, um, uh, RX pad and not a TX. Yeah, whatever. Um, and then you look into autopilot and autopilot says serial 1, serial 2, serial 3, but these numbers do not match. You really have to look into the documentation, look uh, and check uh, or find the, the matching table for that or go on the Matek website where they say serial this number is, you are this number and then you have to rethink everything and do not change any of the UART assignments in the configurator and really follow the ports as they are listed based on this table on the Matek side. This took me I think two or three days until I just got the uh, um, ESC telemetry, my VTX control, and what was the third thing? Uh, there was one one more thing I had to uh, I had to connect until everything was working, and that was uh, the most complicated part uh, part at this point that catched me on the on the clouds. And on the AR uh, on the AR ring back then in 2020, uh, my biggest concern was basically also UI related uh, because of the mission planner. In INAF, I am used to get all the important settings, everything that's relevant to get the plane flying, to get the plane tuned, is in the GUI. I have a big overview with uh, with named variables, uh, with descriptions, what every setting does. So I just go page by page and look what I can change. And then I know, okay, that this setting does this, so I change it if I need it. On autopilot, I basically have I set like I set the launch mode on on my switch. This I can do in the GUI. But what are the launch settings? Where do I change the launch settings? Then I have to look into the documentation. I have to uh, check that one where it's split over uh, like uh, f it feels like a 50 page text uh, where uh, one one parameter is uh, written there, one is described there, one is described there. You have to read through all of that to know what you can actually change and then you change it and then you have some people in the community you ask questions and uh, one guy says yeah you should set that to this value or you and then the next guy comes ah this value is better what do i do now the description is just missing and with you know you really have to look uh, everything up for yourself and you never know if you have missed anything because you can, as a beginner, you cannot go through the whole parameter tree list uh, one by one and change everything you need. You have to know what you need to change, otherwise you are completely lost. I, I think that if you're going for a basic configuration, a basic setup, uh, it's the, the mission planet interface that we've had for donkey's years is okay for the majority of it. I think the, the issue is, is that because the interface hasn't kept up with all the extra stuff, it's like everything that's getting, that gets shoved into the CLI in iNav in beta flight because they can't fit it anywhere else in the configurator. The, the, you know, it, it all gets stuck into the parameter list. Uh, and you're absolutely right. It, it, the thing is, once you have set up a dozen models, 
in Ardu Copter or Ardu Plane, it is really easy. You know, the, I did a, um, an, a Pixhawk 2020 series for Copter. I did a Pixhawk 2020 series for Plane. Both of those are only three videos. And I show every single step, and at the end of it, we go and fly it, and we tune it, and tickety-boo. But the, there's a reason that I'm using the thing, going back to the, you know, the comments about the flight controller, there's a really big reason why I use things like the F405 wing when I did the setup of it. I did one with an omnibus board when Chibios was very first released, right, because I knew that worked. I did one with the F405 wing board because I knew that worked. Um, you know, I, I was I was being very I was picking my fights, right? And it's it does mean that if you're coming in and you're not used to it, it's horrific. Now at the moment, I've been filming a, a series on VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing. So this is where you put four quadcopter motors around the roots of a wing of a regular plane, and you allow it to take off and land vertically. So you actually have part of the model that behaves as a quadcopter. You have another set up lot of settings for how the model behaves as a plane. So you have to have set both of those up. Then you've got to set all the settings up for how the transitions work from hover to fast forward, then forward flight back to hover. And then also there's loads of other things like weather veining. So say for example, you're hovering and the wind is pushing the tail around, how do you handle that? How do you handle a situation where the plane is now slowing down below the point where the wing could potentially stall? You can say to Ardu, Ardu plane, in this case, you can say Ardu plane will just start the lift motors so that if my wing does stall, it's not gonna fall out the air. It gets really complicated. The issue is, is that all that stuff including the 150 parameters for quad plane that's specific to the quad plane setup, in addition to all the settings for the Ardu plane and then all the settings for Ardu copter, all have to be set up right for it to work. This is why a lot of the VTOL guys who are building VTOLs these days and using Ardu pilot are getting unstuck. Because if you know, I, I this this series that I'm filming at the moment, I'm filming it with an incredibly smart guy, a guy called Ben, who runs 3DXR here in the UK. He builds VTOL systems for professional rigs, right? So these are six, seven, eight thousand dollar UAVs, right? And he's been incredibly generous with his time. So I've literally got the camera on him, stuck him on my laptop with a screen recorder, stuck a, a, a mic on his chest, and said, right, just show me how you set this stuff up. Now, I'm trying to get Ben to go as slow as he possibly can, but it's still like trying to drink water from a fire hose. <laughs> because for Ben, who does this all the time, this is really slow and dead obvious. But, you know, after two, after two minutes, we've already visited 80 different settings and he's setting up Canvas and doing this, that and the other. And, you know, lots of people have watched it and gone, oh, this is amazing. This is stuff that nobody else is showing. But most people are sat there with their eyes bleeding just going, I can't keep up. And I absolutely understand that because when I make my next one with everything that I've learned from Ben, I'm probably going to have to spend four videos just doing the setups in the in all of the all of the, the the pieces to make sure that when I go out in, you know, and I flick the switch for it to take off, it doesn't try and kill me.
Yeah. This this is by the way a very interesting uh, interesting thing uh, how how you explain that because I have the same problem sometimes uh, when I help people setting up planes. Uh, I had a lot of uh, situations where I I, I sky skyped with people, then we made some screen share, so I, remotely I configured INAV. I mean, in theory, if you set up INAV, um, it's flashing the board. You set up your mixer. You set up your radio, and yeah maybe uh, and, and your and, and your your outputs uh, where yeah. everything is connected and the modes and that's it and then you go and fly and then i start ah okay we could set auto launch settings hey what's your setup yeah these settings will work and then okay this plane is agile i could make some tweaks on the on the navigation settings i could already tweak some pitch to throttle ratio just from my experience so it co comes more and more and more and then people uh, the person on the other side where i just try to make a basic setup also gets completely overwhelmed uh, if, if, if he or she is a newbie yep. and uh, and that's also why i decided when i do some uh, things like that and helping people i go really the basic way i only the absolute necessary to show them until they uh, the people understand that and uh, then when they have questions when they want to have uh, things changed then just yeah. explain one thing by one there's there's a guy in uh, in canada i have contact for a few weeks uh, now they are using enough fixed strings commercially um i cannot talk, i cannot talk too much about it um but that's basically the same situation they wanted to have uh, some geofence feature and in INAV and i coded that programmed that in the programming feature uh, basically used every single line of the 32 lines we have uh, and built him this uh, uh, geofence setup he can adjust in flight Uh, where the limits are in four steps for altitude and distance and uh, then after that i showed him more and more we, uh, he showed me how the planes fly how they perform what they need i looked at their logs and i said hey you can change these navigation settings uh, to have tighter turns in angle mode for example or tighter turns in cruise mode or steeper climbs or whatever um, in, in in that manner And uh, currently, I'm showing him how to uh, analyze or how to use black box logs from INAF uh, to plot them on the uh, on Google Earth uh, and show them to their clients because they have clients they want to uh, make reports over the, about the flights they do, and um, yeah, so. We I, I also have to bring these people uh, step by step uh, to what they're to what they want to go. Uh, Darren, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, because we've only got about 10 minutes left, it probably be a good idea to get Lee oh, yeah. and everyone else's thoughts on the Arju configurator. Oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, uh, we, we spoke about the uh, complexity or the, the problems with the with the mission planner. So what the INAF, uh, what the autopilot guys uh, came up with is the uh, configurator. I will put it just here on screen again uh, with the uh, on the GitHub. And what they basically did is taking the whole INAF configurator as it was in, I think it was 4.0 from the user interface, put it over and replaced all the underlying code that communicates with the craft uh, with the MavLink code to communicate with autopilot. 
uh, but kept most of the interface. Unfortunately, not the very important things like the OSD setup. That would be really handy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's what they did at this point. We had some discussions on uh, Facebook already uh, about that topic. But Lee, what do you think about this step specifically? That they completely take took it over and adapted to autopilot. I, I think it's really exciting. I, I think one of the things that has put a lot of pilots off, and I think we've just aptly demonstrated that in the past 15 minutes, is that somebody coming new into Ardu Pilot who's never played with it before, it it's not the t it's it's the configuration that's causing the problem. When they actually get it flying, it's a fantastic experience and it flies, in my humble opinion, it will fly planes and quads better than INAV out of the box. Um, you know, it's quite controversial to say something like that on the INAV Fixed Wing podcast, but the the, the thing that um, Ardu plane doesn't do is it doesn't understand small wings very well. You have to play for those settings, but if you have a large, complicated, powerful model, Ardu plane is kind of, yeah, okay, I get this. You know, this is what I've been flying for the last 10 years. But the having the ability for somebody to access all that technology through an interface that they are more familiar with is just fantastic news. Now, how that's going to shake out to get some of that complexity that we've talked about that's hidden away in the guts, exposed in a way that makes it easier. Because, you know, I... I think Pareto's law works for this. So I think, you know, that 80% um, of the pilots only need 20% of the settings. So let's, you know, hopefully those 20% of the settings that we're all going to need are actually easy to access via this configurator that we all know and love through, you know, back from the clean flight days. That would just be great. And then if you're, if you make one or two builds and you and you know and you kind of want to put your big boy pants on then you go and you get your mission planner or your queue ground control out and you're going to get into the nitty gritty that would be great but i just love the fact that rather than having to learn mission planner as well as the whole flight control system and how everything goes together if we can make it easier for them with this it's just great Darren, what do you think Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave me till last. Leave me till last? Okay. All right. So, move. yeah, let, let, uh, I just wanted to add something. Um, so, Lee just gave a good explanation what he, what he thinks about that. So, my personal opinion on that topic uh, is I think the idea is great to make a fresh start, to make a new start on the uh, configurator side that's long, long overdue. And, um, but the, the only thing that for me personally uh, has a little bit of a bitter taste there's nothing wrong uh, for the community of course the users will be happy but what just has a little bit of bitter taste is that they took it over literally one-to-one -one. the whole interface everything that went into the configurator over the last years that was programmed by user feedback by uh, a lot of programmers so much uh, stuff uh it uh, henrik said a little bit a little bit harsh words on the facebook post uh, it looks like a ripoff uh, what i wish would be uh, that they of course they can use the framework everything is open source but make an user interface themselves that mm -hmm. uh, really represents autopilot and it's not like a complete enough interface just to uh, att attract enough users to use autopilot 
as I said, it's just my personal opinion uh, on that topic, how they did it. Um, but I still like uh, that they did it and that they do a, re uh, a fresh start on this. So, Luke? Uh, my opinion is... the 4RG pilot or something like that, you know, make it obvious they're not trying to steal it. But I really don't think that's what's happening. You know, it's it's exactly the same as, you know, when any feature is taken from an open source project and added to another one, just this is, you know, uh, a more substantial one. I mean, by the same reckoning, you probably could have said INF stole from CleanFlight when it, you know, took all of the CleanFlight code base and added on navigation stuff. Uh, this it took all of INAV configurator and added on the uh, the RG pilot uh, commands. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how they'd go about it to you know make the developers you know properly attributed for it, but I don't I don't really don't think it's unfair. Hey, Darren. Um, yeah, I'm actually in agreement with Luke. Um, yeah, I mean as I've spent countless hours writing stuff for configurator and um, but when i did this so it's open source i know that someone can come and take it and do whatever they want with it that's hot, you know really the whole the whole point i agree with some of what mark said at the moment they have it, it appears like they've been pretty lazy because the colors the icons and everything is basically straight from uh inav but by the same token they're probably concentrating on getting the the functionality working first and then before final release they can you know make it look more like RG pilot mm. um so i i really don't have a problem uh the the biggest i mean actually i i saw the demo of the compass calibration thing and that actually looks really cool we should maybe copy that back into INAV configurator <laughs> um because it, it works it looks like it works uh, and that's exactly the point by yeah. RG pilot using the same configurator that INAV is using you know they'll find improvements for, that you know will go back to INAV you know it's the whole point of open source it'll help everyone but i, I mean, also agree about the OSD thing um I mean, uh, Lee sort of hit on it earlier. Originally, the the OSD. Um, I mean, I only saw it from the the Matek flight controller side, and originally it was you had to edit all the parameters just to get the OSD displayed where you want it. And then they added uh, UI eventually, but it was still, or it is still really clunky. Um, and the the OSD editor in INAV is really nice, so it's a bit of a shock that they've taken that out. To be honest, it'd have been nice if they'd kept kept that in but yeah as far still as still converting it only like a few weeks into the project no they were a year in yeah a year in okay yeah, yeah, you're gonna see this for another two years then 11 months since the first code changes on github wow you say it's going to be two years before we see this i mean we we're already seeing it you can already use it to configure your, your rg pilot plane obviously it's not fully featured but uh, I, I, you know, I think this is already a minimum viable product kind of thing. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's well. I mean, basically, uh, iNav is like Windows, and Arduino is like Linux. It is, you know, if you talk to people who know Linux, Linux is a far superior operating system than Windows. 
after using Windows 11, you don't want to be saying that because it's an absolute train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Windows 10. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, basically, I know it, it's interesting this whole thing came up because um, we talked to the guys, Autopilot. I mean, they're... When you talk to them, there's a little bit of like ego that goes along with them. We're a much better operating system. We our firmware is so much superior. We can do so much more. When you see the drone shows, for example, where you know they spell up names and make horses that fly in the sky. That's all done with autopilot, autocopter, I believe, right? Yeah, so I did, and they they have things like swarm technology. All that stuff is in the code these days. It's been there for a while. It, they, they can do some incredibly clever stuff. But you know, Steve, I, I think that most of us as pilots are only going to be using that twenty percent, right? And and I think that if that twenty percent is in the configurator, that will be great. But I'm at the moment looking at it, it it's not, is it? I mean, you know, the, the on screen display is that bit it is the elephant in the room. Um, you know, could could I configure a, a basic Matek F four oh five with Ardu plane, stick it in an AR wing pro and go and fly it using that configurator? No. Uh what I still you would use mission planner. I I love the idea and I love the fact that uh, all of the questions that I get from pilots who are just struggling to configure it, you know, they've, they've got an option. But I, but I think that, you know, I, I, I'd agree. I think we're we're a little bit away from having a configurator that we can use for, you know, light builds or simple builds with known hardware. Yeah, the, the thing I look at is that our hobby is unfortunately when you look at the fixed wing hobby, um, we uh, there's a lot of us in the United States that or in the retirement years, I would say, and they have, these are club field flyers. Well, these people go, because that was a huge part of the market. They have a lot of influence when it comes to FAA regulations and things like that. If we don't have people following behind them, we will, uh, we're not going to have, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to fight the FAA in the future. So we need to keep, make sure that we keep having people who are um, into the hobby. But that being said, I still say that, you know, even with all these changes, the problem is underneath all of this, it's still autopilot. There's still the 150 steps, as Lee said. And I think for a lot of people coming to the hobby, if they come in, especially from beta flight, coming over to INAV is really fast and easy. Uh, it's going to be a big stretch to get them to go from beta flight to INAV to autopilot. So some people will make the journey, some people won't, but, you know. Um, I hope that, like what Darren said, that this is going to be a two-way street where we can get we can prove INAV because of some of their code writing as well, and I hope the hobby continues to grow because you know we're trying to make it better for everybody. Do you, do you know what the one feature that I would love if they if, if to, the developers of the over there our department said what would you like in this you know our version of configurator? There is there is one. It's it's a really easy answer for me, and that one thing is. Give me a setup wizard. <laughs> for INAV or for No, no, for, for Ardu Pilot. And then yeah. and then and then we can nick it for INAV. Because <laughs> because actually the setup wizard that we used to have back in the day of the CC three D with open pilot, for those of you that are old enough to remember all that. Uh, for a new pilot, it literally stepped you yeah. through. It was it was epic, and the chance of you getting to the end and it not working were minuscule if you had followed the steps. I would love that because it would abstract all the complexity, 
make some clever decisions. We you know, lots of technology. Just ask the user some basic questions that they can understand. Show them pictures they can click on, and then at the end of it, after you know twenty steps or whatever, you know it has the attach your props like this, and and then and the way you go. That I would be over them. As somebody who spends a long time helping people, I would I would be doing cartwheels if we could do that. <laughs> so just one last. Uh, Steve, just one one last statement from my side before uh, Lee has to go because uh, he wanted to or he has to leave uh, now. Um, uh, when or after the autopilot devs have taken over the INF configurator, maybe they could be so nice and do us a favor and port our uh, port the uh, autopilot navigation core to INF, <laughs> <laughs> so we could so we could get rid of uh, Horizon Drift. Maybe <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, and we, and we could we could draw polygons and have them filled in automatically for for autonomous flying and all that fantastic stuff those guys do. Yeah, I love I that mean, idea. Uh, we we have that already. Just use uh, MWP. So, so oh no, no, let's not start <laughs> this. This is where I haven't got time to get into this argument about this. It's a, you know we're talking Rolls Royce Bentley versus some other car. This is it's yeah, a, sure. it, it, it is a different thing, but but um, but it would be nice to get some of those extra things in as well. But but yeah. again, the, you know, like Mark said, this is the fun part of it, isn't it? If if someone else is um sorry darren was saying you know if, if somebody goes and develops something and with a configurator that's really cool like the compass stuff then you know that that can always come back fantastic well lee thank you so much for joining us today we really appreciate it this is just a fantastic talk really i'm glad that this came up and you were able to help out because i think you really did a fantastic job of explaining you know what our pilot's all about um but absolutely enjoyed the conversations about you know, the hobby as well and the different planes and what you like to fly and gives us an idea of what your motivation is as far as the hobby is concerned. And um, we'd love to have you back. So don't be a stranger. No, absolutely. And we and we didn't get to two or three of the things that I had on my list. So uh, next time, who knows, maybe we'll get into talk about the VTOL stuff a little bit more. <laughs> Sounds yeah, great. Absolutely. All, that's, based on, that's all based on Ardu Pilot, right? Because I know, unfortunately, <laughs> we ain't there yet with it. So if you if you want to do VTOL, then yeah, you are going to have to have a very stiff drink and delve into mission. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you for having so, so much for having me on. It, it's been a pleasure thank as always, you. and have a fantastic Easter. And I will uh, I, I will jump off now and leave you to it. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to the final podcast when you guys have done everything. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> okay, Thanks bye, Lee. Take care. Bye, Mark. Bye, bye Luke. Bye, Darren. Take care, my friend. Stay safe, Bye-bye. Bye. So that would be a good uh, moment to ask the chat uh, what they think about it. I mean, we have some messages, I think. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, we talked about uh, the the configurator now. Uh, anything else at this point? Mm, no, I mean that was kind of <laughs> it, and I think he did a pretty good job. I, I wanted to be fair to Artipilot. Um It's just the only thing that that strikes me is like there's a bit of arrogance that comes along with the Artipilot community when talking about iNav. They kind of look down on us, and then they end up stealing, you know, a lot of the code from iNav. <laughs> It just 
it struck me as really weird. So I, I call it Project Milli Vanilli. It's yeah. not really and, stealing. That's the whole uh, sort yeah. of ethos behind open source is you can yeah. take other people's code and use it. And not even uh, just that, but it's not, you know, it's not like when one person that's developing for ArduPilot takes something from iNav that everybody in the ArduPilot community is now agreeing that this is the better way to do it. You know, this is just one person's work. Everyone else in the ArduPilot community may still feel all snobby and that they have the best way of doing it. You know, it's it's not like a collaborated effort against the people of INAV. It's just uh... <laughs> well, obviously yeah. we're doing something right. I mean, I, we're getting the headspace of people who, when when people think about automated flight for fixed wings, they come to our direction. Um, and I think it's because we have a really close relationship with the end user base i mean we are with them every day we answer questions and i just don't know if the art of part of the community is really going to be that enthusiastic to help hold people's hands to 150 steps so that's about the only thing i think a lot of people are excited to go over to autopilot and try it out but i don't know how many people are going to stick with it i think it depends what you're flying at the end of the day it's mm. um i mean i can't really comment too much because i've had well basically one battery through that so uh, that I've done a basic auto tune which I found it to be really too stiff so I'd put it basically you you start with level six on the auto tune uh, the instruction manual then says level seven you should go to only if you're an experienced pilot and you know what you're doing and all this so I'll put it on level seven Luke actually said no just go straight to level eight <laughs> but I, I put it on seven just to follow their guidelines to make sure everything was right that um, auto tune, that auto tune, yeah. by the way, can also be a uh, a big trap. I had to uh, I had to experience with my clouds. Uh, with iNav, we are used to do full banks release, full bank release, for example, or rolls in in this case. But um, for autopilot, uh, if you do that, the tune will not uh, be well. It will tune, especially the uh, the. The D term way too high, and that was the problem I had with the clouds. So I, I I also made a bank right, hold it there, center, bank left, hold it there, center. And after I did that, I had very fast jitter on the wings for the whole remainder of the flight. And I was asking the um, uh, a small Telegram in a Telegram group, the community guys, and also uh, a few de developers are in there, uh, and they said no, that's the wrong way. You really have to wriggle left and right like crazy. So exactly. Exactly what we should not do in INAF autotune needs to be done in autopilot and that exactly gave me a proper tune afterwards. So th this is also not very well documented. There, there's a video on YouTube uh, from one of the uh, autopilot core developers or whatever who shows it in a, in a line of sight uh, RC game, basically a simulator, uh, where he has this uh, in the loop simulation connected with this simulator and where he did the auto tune exactly this way but it's not written in the documentation and that also threw me off a little bit with the with the clouds when i set it, set that up yeah but no I, I found yeah the return to home obviously worked flawlessly as far as the acro flying i didn't I think it, I need to tune it to a, a faster level. Um, still, it's just it's just not where it is with iNav. Um, which, you know, if you, you stick that in Acro on iNav, you can do full rolls, whatever you're capable of doing in manual. But um, obviously, uh, with a bit of stabilization, 
Autopilot but, also has has a rate setting like Einafast that is not yeah, tuned yeah. automatically, right? Yeah, I, you you need to up the auto tune level. So I'm, I'm going up through those. No, no. What I mean is, you have actually rates to set in degrees per second. There's also Ooh. a setting for, a setting for that. I I didn't know that before uh, I did the tune, so I just put in the same rates as I had on Einaf uh, there, and that gave me a proper tune. But these settings for degrees per second are still there also in autopilot. But usually they are always on default, and I think that's all. That's also the reason why uh, any plane you set up with autopilot flies the same at the end, and it feels exactly the same. You don't feel the plane anymore. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of, I, I was actually a little bit disappointed in um, that I was expecting it to be silky smooth, but I did have a bit of sort of pitch jitter, but again, it could be because it's an S800. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it, yeah, it, there's, there is that. I, I could put it on iNav or put it in manual and see what happens there. But yeah, I, when everyone talks about it, about how smooth and well behaved it is i didn't quite get that with that plane um again it could be the tuning it could be yeah yeah my uh, inexperience but um the actual flying yeah no problem at all i i took it out for a little um <laughs> a very short line of sight maiden um <laughs> and yeah it was absolutely it behaved itself very well when we first started talking about this subject, we had Archangel on really to try to talk about autopilot because that's, he knew it really well. And he would even mention, like, I'm flying my plane five miles away, and all of a sudden it happens, and I'm losing my plane, it's going down. So it's not like, even though it has so much more hours with, you know, with flight, especially with professional flight, there's still problems you can have with a plane with autopilot. You can have problems with anything, though. It's not nothing yeah. is complete, one hundred percent foolproof. Uh, uh, I noticed that when people are talking about, uh, you know, our ceiling stuff, it's like a lot of arguments you see about maybe free sky receivers. Is oh, oh they're crap or whatever. Oh. But I, I, you know, in in our flying club, there's a guy with jetty. He had a brand new receiver after the one test flight, it died. So oh. even like the best can still have problems and it's it, at the end of the day we're dealing with you know human written code and mass-produced electronics it's i also i also had a chat with with a friend from me from mine uh, yesterday or two days before uh who crashed his i think it was an ar pro uh or ar 900 um and he showed me the DVR of the of the flight of the crash itself, and it clearly looked like a like a face safe situation or micro face safe, uh, because he he was flying very low, like one or two meters off the ground, like 150 meters away, and uh, on the last stick input movement, he made the plane slowly roll in one direction and crash into into the ground, and he uses crossfire. So even crossfire can face safe at 150 meters if you are two meter off the ground so uh, sometimes uh, you're just not in there antenna orient bad antenna orientation some interference or just an obstacle in between in the very bad position Sorry. so yeah <clears throat> well i guess the, the big question is, is you know still trying to figure out why they did this obviously they're trying to get more users to try out autopilot and um 
Uh, it's interesting. I mean, uh, it's a compliment to us. Uh, invitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Um, but this is more of an invitation. This is how right, like, take this, plug it in, and use it. Uh, take the creator and bring it over to what we're doing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, hopefully they get out of what, you know, it sounds like I didn't really know that Art of Pilot was not as fully baked when it came to the flight controller side using, you know, the Matex flight controllers and things like that. So, yeah, yeah it's if you use uh, the Pixhawk Cube line, uh, that's what it's, you know, really been designed around. Uh, and that's almost exclusively what I've used with it, and it really uh, does remove a lot of the problems. I was talking to Darren today uh, while we were at the, at the field, and Darren was having loads of problems that just, you know, aren't a thing uh, when you use the Cube series. Uh, it's, it's definitely a different way of doing it. But, of course, a lot more expensive, a lot more professional, a lot bigger. This might be the whole thing, because there's a lot of people who use the Cube series professionally, and they're like, you know, they look at iNav and they say, oh, God, this is like a toy. You know, this is not anything close to what we have. And, and I, and as much as I use iNav, and I use iNav on some reasonably big planes, uh, it definitely does have, you know, more that kind of feel. You know, the Matek boards, they're great quality and stuff, but they're not the same kind of great quality that you get from a Pixel Cube. You know, the flight controller isn't made out of CNC aluminium. You know, it's uh, it, it might be good quality, but it's not good quality yeah you, know? you, you get what you pay for at the end of the day yeah yeah interesting yeah and, uh, one question i have is uh in the pixar cube do they uh have separate gyros or are the gyros built into the pixar cube uh it has three individual gyros but they're built in and they're vibrate as lee was saying they're vibration isolated uh in a foam casing within the cube uh you know the cube is like uh a bit that you the, the flight controllers for the cube series they have a cube that then goes on a carrier board so the cube is actually the brain and then the carrier board is what has all the ports so the cube is a vibration isolated and heated uh yeah section uh, that has the gyros the barometer etc the reason i bring that up is because we're starting to like in the next month or so we're going to start talking about using the our black box data our gyros for doing flight stabilization and video and what i've noticed is like there are some cameras like uh the Runcam 5 that has gyros built in but they're not very good so it's not like you get great quality video stabilization from it mm. and i'm kind of curious to thinking like my thinking is when you go down the road here a bit, are we going to start seeing separate gyros? Gyros you actually buy separately and plug into flight controllers because you want to get just even better stabilization out of your plane and, and better readings for your uh, footage. I mean, as far uh, as I'm aware, oh, sorry, Paramount. Yeah, I, I, th I think the problem is not the gyros itself in these cameras, like the uh, thump or the. Uh, the uh, Runcam 5, I think they all use standard servos like these ICM or uh, MPU 6000 because they are ju the cheapest ones. I think the problem is uh, the hardware around it, like the power uh, power source or the power regulators they use uh, that in induce electrical noise. Um, also the mounting position, the housing of the camera that uh, transfers high frequency noise or even the software filtering they do in the, in the back. Uh, to uh, get cleaner gyro data because you have to be very careful on these uh, gyro loggings 
uh, how much filtering you apply. The more filtering you apply, the more latency you have, and the uh, the the harder it gets to to um, stabilize very small motion. So I think at at the end, it's a it's a hardware design uh, and software issue. If the gyros are really bad, I mean the run cam thumb, for example, it's it's basically useless. I, I think that that's, in my opinion, the most useless camera released for years right now. The the resolution is too bad, the quality is too bad, and the gyro is uh, nearly unusable. Which which run cam is this? The, the run cam thumb, these uh, very small that looks like the uh, Insta three sixty peanut. Oh yeah. Yeah, those are small sensors that they have in these cameras, and you, you can put a million pixels in there if you want to. It's not going to improve things all that much. You know, it's basically there's three things when it comes to these cameras. It's the lens, it's the actual sensor, and then it's actually the the, the processing unit, um, part of the video processing unit, part of the CPU. So, yeah. But at the end, it's, it's, a, it's a 50 bucks camera, so yeah. there's nothing much to expect. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of seeing that right now, and that I'm looking forward to the video thing that we're going to come out with because they're trying to come out with better, you know, action cameras. But uh, you're, I, I think at some point in the future, you're going to see interchangeable lenses on action cameras, and you will be spending as much on the lenses as you are on the action cameras. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, I think this has been a great show today. Uh, God, we leave here. It was fantastic. Uh, definitely covered a lot. So thank everyone for sticking in with us. Uh, this is Wing Talk after hours. We're done at you know at <laughs> on the hour. <laughs> thank you for listening to Wing Talk. The webcast is live the third Sunday of every month, and this podcast follows shortly afterwards. Check out inavfixedwinggroup.com for more details.